Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Morning all, Tuesday morning, the second day of March. Three years ago today, we were in a blanket of snow and there was fellas snowboarding down Patrick's Hill. The beast from the Aist was here three years ago today. Will we ever see its like again? Some people would say, yeah, bring it on, we love a bit of snow. Others would say, oh, please, no. Yeah, three years ago today, it was it was ankle deep, it was knee deep in some places and in some parts of the county it caused havoc, but it's good to remember it. Good morning, 1850-715-996, the number to call, the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696, email opinion at 96fm.ie for whatever is on your mind. Uh, the rumour that was going around that the bishop had said to parents or suggested to parents they don't buy communion clothes for the youngsters. That is true. Uh, I've got letters in front of me uh, that actually say that in writing from Bishop Finton Gavin, Bishop of Cork and Ross. I'll read them in a little while. But he does mention, do not buy communion clothes for your children for the simple reason is we can't guarantee there'll actually be communions or confirmations this year. We're in no position to plan them as we speak. I'll get to that a wee bit later on. Also, the Cork COVID numbers. We are on target, my friends, to be at what is effectively zero COVID by the 5th of April, by the day that the restrictions are supposed to start gently easing. Now, Leo Varadkar says it'll be very gentle and very little at first. But by the time we get to that date of the 5th of April, Easter Monday, on the numbers in front of me, Cork is in a position to be what is classed as zero COVID. And remember, on this programme, we understand what zero COVID is, rather than our Minister for Health, who in his pronouncements on the newspapers today and over the last 24 hours, not to mention another minister on the TV3 programme, none of them have a notion what zero COVID actually is. But we'll get to all of that in the fullness. 1850-715-996. Plus, if you had a youngster went back to school yesterday, how was it for them? How was it for you? Uh, were they nervous? Were they delighted coming home? Were they all happy coming home? Was it different inside? than what you remember from before the, this particular lockdown. All of that and more. But I want to go first to uh, Councillor Dr John Sheehan, who is the chair of Mount Cara. We'll discuss Mount Cara in a little while, um, John. But just let's talk about another major Northside issue, which is South Dock. And uh, this started last year uh, when... Um, 
Sinn Féin TD Tommy Gould brought it to my attention but it's it's been running with all the public representatives ever since. Is South Dock reopening on the north side or isn't it John? Good morning. Good morning PJ and yes I think it is um, we got an email yesterday from Michael Fitzgerald who's the clinic chief officer with the HSE this came out to all the, and on the HSE social health forum and the board of South Dock have advised him that they are planning to reopen the Blackpool and also the Stoll and Kerry those centres when public health guidelines um, allow them to do so. So they're planning to open. Um, they haven't a definite date yet. That will depend on the public health guidelines. But they have informed him that that is their intention and that is their plan to fully restore services in the north side of the city. So that is good news. It's a bit vague, though, isn't it? Well, I thought they don't, I, I think they're afraid of giving a definite date because what happened before where everyone said, oh, it's definitely opening on January the 15th and then... The whole situation in January, as we know, with COVID changed. So I think they're going to say our plan is to open it, but it depends on when the restrictions go. Now, you know, as you said, we're heading in a very positive direction. The vaccine's coming out slowly, but it is coming out. And once those restrictions ease, then South Dock, my, my understanding is that South Dock on, in Blackpool will reopen. Do you know what never struck me as making any sense at all, though, John, was that argument about... Uh, the north side south dock and covid and spread of the virus because what they just did was send everybody down to the Kinsale road roundabout so by by trying to prevent a spread in one center you you jammed another one it made no sense well i think the understanding really what happened peter is the number of people actually be seen during covid outbreaks it was very very low overall so the it didn't make sense to have two centers open anyway because 80 to 90 percent of the calls that were being dealt, particularly in in the peak COVID times, now it's changing slowly, um, were done over the phone. And also the number of, thankfully, the number of infections that children had and things like that went way down because no one was going anywhere, no one was in school and play school. So all of those infections went way down. So nearly, I'd say 80 to 90 percent were done over the phone. So it made sense to concentrate somewhere. And then initially, when, the, when all this kicked off, the idea was that you'd have redundant bases so that if there was a big outbreak in one centre, you had a base that you could keep operating uh. in another centre. So that was the original logic. And then obviously things moved on. But there is a need for one. There is a need for one on the north side. And this is good news. And to be fair to the board... Who I know, I mean, I, I'm a member of South Dock, like every GP. Yeah, you do, you, you do your shift in that Northside Centre. So, so, I mean, as, as a working GP, is, is it an acceptable place to base yourself for that shift? It is. It's an older building. It's, it's tighter for space. And if the waiting room got full, it, it wouldn't take much to fill it. So it doesn't, ideally, we'd like a bigger space. But, I mean, you know, that's, you know, you, we, we, we can work around that. And, you know, I, I do many shifts there as, along with Kinsale and many other GPs. But the board, really, to be fair to them, have worked very hard and they're all volunteers and they do do this because they feel it's better for general practice and Mm. for their patients. Have they explained yet, though, why they went in open defiance of the HSE, who who more or less instructed them under the terms of their contract Mm. to open it? I think they were absolutely correct, I have to say. Well, in keeping it closed? Again, keeping it public, because the number of physical people actually being seen in January was very, very minuscule. Now, I think we could have put some, the HSE could have put some support in because I would have patients who are on this side of the city and going to Kinsale Road, as you know, is a very long distance away if you don't have transport. And, you know, there should have been some support put in there. But to be fair to the Board of South Dock, 
the, you know, the, the numbers being seen really didn't justify mm. two centres, but there should have been some support put in for patients so that they could access the one centre that was yeah. on the edge of the city on the other side. Well, of course, the other fear was, John, uh, as you know, in, in this world, when things close temporarily, temporary becomes a very long time. It absolutely if, does. If at all, if it's ever reversed. Yeah, and that is the fear. And that's why I welcome the, the news yesterday. Um, about this, that this is going to be opening up when the public health restrictions happen, as you said there. In your and will it be something along the lines of they will ask the public health doctors in HSC South to visit? I think it's what we're at level five now, so I think it has to do with more national guidelines. I think that's my understanding that it's more <laughs> national guidelines. They want specific health public health. They'll take infection control advice like everyone has. Well, they're kind of the, they're, yeah, to be fair, they're the people who get this. They're the people who do it, the infection control experts, you know? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, So I think this is a good news for the North side. Okay. And I, I think it's happening and I think that's good. And I think, unfortunately, PJ, some of the language around this has been very emotive, like people being accused or inferred that there's white-collar crime and things like that. Well, certainly, ne- that was never inferred on this programme, No, absolutely John. not. No, 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 not, not, not at all. And but would never be allowed to be so inferred, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just briefly on the subject of Mount Cara, where I know you, you are or you are still the chairman, um, what is happening with Mount Cara? Well, yesterday was the good news from Mount Cara, because as we, as we know, in November, I think it was, when we announced that we we're going into a partnership and there's an operator coming in and Moncara was secured. It's like everything, PJ. You have to go through all the due diligence and get approval from HICWA and all of that. And yesterday we went over the final hurdle and HICWA approved Moncara um, um, for the new operator to come in. And effectively what that means is all the residents who were there stay there, all the staff who had their jobs all keep their jobs, it comes under a new operator, and also, more importantly, it comes under the fair deal scheme, yeah. which allows it, one, to be secure long-term, but also there is a huge need, as you know, for people, for, for long-term nursing home beds in the north side of the city, and there's a big shortage. So this secures Moncara, but also it provides that need that is there um, long-term into the future. So it was a really good day for Moncara, and there was a sense of relief among the staff and the residents and also the community because mm. now it feels it can open up and it can start taking it'll start taking new residents one or two a week um, you know over the next few weeks and that'll add new life to it and it'll move on because with the uncertainty we they weren't in a position to do that. What do you make of the comments of Solidarity TD Mick Barry where he said that now it's in the hands of a private operator fees will skyrocket? Well the nature of the fair deal scheme is that some people pay more and some people pay less. It's a national scheme. So if you have more funds, you pay, you contribute more into it. If you have less funds, you contribute less. And some of the residents that are currently there will be paying less and some will be paying more. That's the nature of fair deal. And, um, you know, I suppose you could ask, should you argue everyone paying the same if some people have more funds and some people have less funds? So I think that's the nature of fair deal. And I think most people would say, well, if I have more funds and, you know, I should contribute more the same way we do with our taxes. All right. John, finally, because I haven't gone through the numbers just yet for corporate, like I say, on the patterns as we are, we would be down to, across our population of half a million people, Cork City and County, we'd be down to daily single case figures by the 5th of April, which is by the day we hear about what's happening next with restrictions. That effectively, that is the criteria for 
zero COVID, that you have zero, low to zero community transmission that you can control. Cork doing extremely well. Cork has done exceptionally well given the size of the given the size of the county. So effectively, it would be zero COVID, and that's where it really becomes important. Then that the testing and tracing is very much on top of it when it is down to those figures. When the figures are up in the high hundreds and thousands, you know, pursuing a zero COVID strategy is very, very hard or impossible. It's when you get down to those numbers that mm. you really can chase after. There's an outbreak in some small in an area. You can go after it. Would, would, you, would you be confident that locally in the city and county, John, we, we would have the test and trace, first, expertise, and, second, and secondly, facilities to, to keep it I, down when we get down? I would really, because really the testing at the moment is very good. If I see someone now and refer them, they'll get an appointment probably before lunchtime today. You know, so the and when will they get their result? There. They get the results in about 24, 36 hours. Wow, so that's good. Turnaround is pretty good. That's good. Um, you know, it, it's that, and, but that can only really be done, PJ, when the numbers are low. When the numbers skyrocket, everything starts backing up. So I think the capacity is there now to chase the virus and suppress the virus. And then also, along with that, we have the rollout of the vaccination yes. program. Uh, you it know, seems so to be ramping up. It spins very, very slow, but it does seem to be get, gathering a bit of pace. It certainly is. I mean, we're hoping to be vaccinating Friday if we get the confirmation email today. We've been ready to go for the last two to three weeks. We're twitchy to go. Our patients are, are, are raring to go. Um, and it's one of those things that you really feel this is going, you know, this is a game changer and yeah. this is going to give people yeah. back their quality of it, life. It's exciting and, and people are very, very excited about it. Lastly, and very briefly, antigen testing. We'll be discussing it uh, shortly. We've talked about it before antigen testing that's cheap it's quite reliable is it another way to get us back to some form of normal life it probably is and it probably allows you to get a handle on situations you know particularly in workplaces or meat plants or things like that where it certainly isn't useful is when there's a lot of infection around and it certainly isn't uh, in place of the PCR test, which is the gold standard. But certainly I think it has a role to play. And each one of these, whether it is vaccinations, whether it is testing and tracing, whether it is antigen testing, they all have a place and they all help produce the, uh, you know, the virus. And that's then you can see the numbers, hospital admissions going down, ICU admissions going down, and they all play their part in this fight. I remember asking you this time last year when we had the first case in the Republic of Ireland, you were Lord Mayor of Cork at the time. Uh, I don't think you envisage having these conversations a year down the road. Let's hope that by this time next year, we'll talk about them in terms of history, John. Absolutely, yeah. And we'll be looking back on these pictures, hopefully from a historical perspective rather than anything else. All right. Thank you for that. That's uh, Councillor Dr. John Sheehan. 1850-715-996. I'll go through the numbers in a little more detail next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine heading into March and what feels like week 987 of lockdown. But don't worry because it's all about keeping your spirits up every evening on the big drive home. I've got the best music mix to get you moving. I want to sort you out with free food, all thanks to Topper's Chips. And you could be just like Emer and Carrie Galine winning the one second song. Thank you. Thanks a million. You made my week. I'll talk.
Podcast here weekdays from Ford. The Big Drive Home. Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold. Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Corks 96 FM. Before I go to the numbers, Deputy Thomas Gould was the man who, and he deserves credit for it, first brought the South Dock story to prominence. On this programme anyway, he was the first voice we heard on about it towards the end of uh, 2020. Tom, you're not, you don't quite have the same confidence that the, that, the Lord, that the former Lord Mayor has, do you, John? Or Tom, good morning. Good morning, PJ. No, PJ, um, I suppose just to let people know that... Um, it's been almost a year since South Dock closed. And Dr. John Sheehan, Council Dr. John Sheehan, has made statements there which do not correspond with the freedom of information I've gotten from South Dock and the HSE. Like, the HSE told South Dock to open because they believed it put people at risk and hospitals at risk that if the north side was closed, that people would be going to either the Mercy Hospital or CUH instead. And that was never recognised by the SODOC. In actual fact, their decision flew in the face of public advice and medical advice from the HSE. And for John Sheehan, a doctor, to come on and state that he thought the SODOC were right, I just found it astounding. Well, what he said was, and remember he does practice there from time to time, he said that in reality the number of people who were actually going to the centre, physically going to the centre, was very small and that most of the consultations were being done on the phone anyway. Well, PJ, we know stories where people had to get taxis out there. We know the story of one man who actually physically walked from Farnley to the Kinsale Road roundabout because he was terrified to get in the bus and he couldn't afford a taxi. Like, for, for South Dock and for Councillor John, Dr. John Shields to state that he thought it was the right idea. Is he saying so publicly that the HSC are wrong? Because we have that in the letter from the HSC in September and again in October when they so, told South Dock to reopen. And also, PJ, in relation to South Dock, they were to reopen in January, but when I found out that it was only half an effort, a, a, a bit of a half a job again for the North Side, and when I highlighted that, they pulled the plug mm. at five o'clock on the Friday before they had to open. I remember talking on to you the, about that. We, we still don't have a date either, which they no, say PJ. they will give on public health advice. Well, PJ, that's a lot of bull, as far as I'm concerned. Because last March, they closed nine he- he- South Dock facilities in Cock and Kerry. And over the summer, they opened seven of the nine, except for Blackpool and Listowel. And once again, it goes to show that the North Side, a year, the North Side have no GP service, and we still don't have a date, and it's not good enough. And I would say this, PJ, if it wasn't for myself and others raising this in the doyle, because I made a point to the Taoiseach Michael Merton, the first two things that he'd done that happened while he was Taoiseach was the proposed closure of Mount Carver House on the 31st of August, unless now people forget that, and the closure of South Dock. So that's what having the Taoiseach meant to the people in the North Side. Okay.
John, thank you. Our Thomas, rather, Thomas Gould, thank you very much. That's the Deputy Thomas Gould of Sinn Féin, who first brought the South Dock story to prominence on the opinion line last year. And, you know, it's become, and I'm going to say this, at risk of putting me head over the parapet and hearing the click of the bullet. It has become a bit of a political football among representatives on the north side of the city. And if if that's what it has become, then unfortunate, that's unfortunate. But in terms of giving credit where it's due, it was Thomas Gould who was the first to kick that ball uh, last year with, uh, with uh, regard to South Dock. Kate says there should be a South Dock in the north, south, east and west. Well, Kate, actually, you're not, you're not wrong because if you look at the catchment area of that particular South Dock, it is enormous. It's huge where people come from for that particular South Dock. And that's another point that has been made. Let me look briefly at those case numbers of which we should be very proud. And I wait these days until the Tuesday. I used to do it on the Monday, but over the weekend, figures can be a little bit off. But Tuesday, you've got a more regular steer on where we are going. So on today, Tuesday, the 2nd of March in Cork, in the last 14 days... We've had 366 new cases in Cork. That's a a breakdown per 100k of population of 68, which is very low. That's it's the second lowest in the country, actually. 68 per 100k of population. Our five-day moving average, which is another good figure uh, that we started using. Our five-day moving average. That's the number of new cases per day averaged out every five days is 26. Now, across the weekend, we had 36 on Saturday, we had 16 on Sunday, and we had 32 yesterday. That would have thrown the average off a little bit. Towards the end of last week, we were getting down to uh, a five-day average of maybe 23, 24. We're back up now to 26, but it's still a very acceptable five-day average. Go back to last Tuesday, our 14-day figure was 451. Two weeks ago, the 16th of February, our 14-day figure was 800. So we've more than halved it in a fortnight. This is good stuff. We've more than halved our 14-day case numbers in a fortnight. Last month, the 2nd of February, so a month ago today, our 14-day figure was 1,831. On the 2nd of January, it was 2,214. Now, those numbers are high, but they leave out the scourge that we had in January. And it's important to look at where we've gone from in terms of the surge. The surge came in the middle of January. We had 8,584 cases in 14 days. 8,584 cases, which is in or around 1,700 per 100,000. It got really, really high. And we're down now to 366, which is magnificent. So doing the the back of an envelope with pencil and paper, don't need calculators, on those numbers, we could be down to daily single figures of cases by the 5th of April, which is when they're going to start easing off some restrictions. That's Leo Varadkar has written, I think, to his parliamentary party. It's in one of the papers this morning, not too sure which one, that we would begin to be able to slowly 
and carefully ease restrictions, this is nationally, of course, from the 5th of April. So by that time, on these numbers, Cork will be at what qualifies to be zero COVID, that in our population of half a million in Cork City and County, we'd be down to daily single figures on the 5th of April and still going down. Now, we have to take into account the fact that the schools are going back and more of them will go back in two weeks. Will that affect the figures? Only time will tell. But Cork will qualify for what defines zero COVID by the time level five lockdown starts to ease after the 5th of April. That, of course, is not what Stephen Donnelly thinks. He has no clue, no idea what zero COVID means. He said we'd have to close the schools again and stay shut down till October. That's utter nonsense. And come back to our two kilometres. That's absolute nonsense. That might be in Dublin, which is the absolute basket case. But not in Cork. We'll be there in a month. All going well. We must start throwing in the old Koopal Fuckle now because it's shocked in the Gaelga. Or rather, Kaikish Nagrelga. It's shocked in Nagrelga, but it runs for a fortnight. I've never quite figured that out. Why they just don't call it Kaikish Nagrelga rather than shocked in Nagrelga. And there's people doing it for a whole month as well. So, mean the Malta is almost mean Nagrelga. Anyway, Kupla Fuckle. Oh, uh, go home. We'll see how it goes. 1850 715 How did it go? First day back at school. Uh, the first year's. Sorry, the leaving certs went back yesterday and of course the junior and high babies and the first and second classes. Let us go to Skull Cleana in Carritool. The principal is Trassa O'Sullivan. Uh great, Trassa. Hi, how are you? It's actually Teresa Collin. Oh, I beg your pardon. The number That's in front of the no name. That's no problem at all. That's no problem at all. <laughs> the, name on, the name on my screen is Teresa O'Sullivan. <laughs> I won't take any offence. That's grand. And <laughs> Not I'm at from, all. I'm from Mallow originally and they would have said Coughlin, but my husband uh, is Collin, so we go with that up here. They'd say Coughlin in Mallow? They'd, I think everywhere else by the city, to be honest. Oh, that's that 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 that's something now, to get I you in trouble. Oh, I could be proved proven wrong. Now you might have listeners that would disagree, but certainly in Mallow, it's Coughlin. <laughs> all right, okay. Listen, they've been away for such a long time, and all of the news footage last evening was of smiling, happy faces. Those beautiful smiles of happy children. Was that reflected? Oh, absolutely. It was actually such a joyful day. We were so happy to be back. I mean, the RPTA were fantastic. They organised a beautiful balloon art outside the gate. And I think the children were excited in the first place to come. And then when they saw the balloons, it was just fever pitch. Yeah. So, so delighted to see each other and to see their teachers. And I suppose to have some degree of normality again. In preparation for it, there must have been some nerves. Certainly there was. I mean, I suppose the run-up to it was so broken, we didn't know what was happening. Even, I mean, we were hearing leaks on Twitter, I suppose, before we got any formal communication. So we kind of had to set a plan in place before we knew for sure that we were coming back. Um, A lot of the staff would have come on site last week to make sure that we had all of our systems in place here in terms of that all the pods were spaced properly in the classrooms and that our sanitizers were refilled and all of the things that we can certainly do here, like controlling the controllables, I suppose. But there was still anxiety. But the only thing is, once you come back into school, it's like we never left. And once the children are there in front of you, you just get on with it. And I suppose they were just so happy to be back that it makes everything worth it. Yeah. Have you had to put extra precautions in place in the interim? Or or 
have you applied the same level of care as you did before Christmas? Well, I suppose we would have been quite, it would have been quite a, str- a strict system before Christmas anyway, in yeah. terms of none of our classes mixed with each other. They're all in pods. The pods stay the same until we have a break in school. Um, there's sanitising going in and going out. The extra systems that were asked by us, by the department, was to increase ventilation. But what we have done is we've introduced whole class movement breaks so that the classes come out of the classroom. The whole class comes out for a movement break. You know, as, as often as, you know, in the smaller classes, it's more often than up in first and second a little bit. You know, they might come out once every hour. And that just gives a chance for the whole class to get a breath of fresh air. But also, they're not used to sitting down for so long. So it's fantastic in terms of re-energising them to go back into the classroom for a little bit of work. Yeah, so the next couple of weeks now will tell an awful lot because the rest of them are due back, isn't it, around the 15th of March. So will it be a bit of a nervous time? Well, I suppose we just, at this stage, yes, it is. And I think there's a lot of anxiety. You know, there was certainly last week from families and I suppose even from staff. But we just keep doing what we're doing and keep doing it as well as we can. So that's keeping to the systems that we have in place. Um, and I was a slogger now to clean the classrooms every day and we've upped our cleaning regime, that kind of thing. And then after that, I suppose we just have to keep going and hope with this new variant, we don't know how it's going to behave in classrooms. Mm. So I suppose we'll be keeping an eye on that. But I am hoping that the 15th of March will mean that the rest of our classes will come back because it's so difficult for them there at home. Yeah. We even go by to their siblings in the morning and continuing with online learning. Mm. It's, it's not easy. Have, have you personal targets as principals, as principal for the coming weeks ahead? Oh, yeah, we would have had a big staff discussion about it because um, I suppose, first of all, we have to just tell the teachers to not focus too much on the academics just for now. I think that even yesterday, all the children came back and all they wanted to do was talk to each other. And the teachers had to keep stopping their lessons just to allow the chatter. It's not normal for children to be you know, I suppose lacking in that much social interaction. So for them to get back together and to talk. And I suppose we have to see where they are in terms of well-being. And that is so important because children at that age are hearing all about death and, you know, sickness and having to stay at home. And we're just taking it very, very gently and just seeing where they are in terms of that. Because some children are very anxious about the fact that they're hearing about very adult things. Um, but also then, over the next few weeks, we will start, I suppose, assessing gently and seeing where they are, where the little gaps have arisen in terms of their learning, and then address those. But I think really, first and foremost, foremost would be the well-being of the children, because we all know if the children aren't happy, they will not be able to learn. That, so that's a, that's sure a great question, or a great point that you, that you raise, actually, in terms of, you know, children being frightened by what they've been hearing about death and, and sickness. Like, inevitably... It will come up. Some child will just get upset. And how do you how do you deal with that? Like, will it come up at all in class? It, it it does happen. I suppose we had our first. We had a case very very early on in in September, and straight away one of our teachers developed a COVID story that we did with every class because what we found was that children started to get afraid that what happened if they got sick had they done something wrong and we felt very strongly that that's not how any child should feel about it. So we developed a social story straight away just you know that we did in every class about the fact that this is what we can do to stay safe. If you get sick it's not your fault it's just something that happens and I think by having meaningful conversations about it it makes it so much clearer for all of the children and that they feel that it's okay to discuss it. Very early on in this kids got a bad rap because the initial science thought that they yes. were vectors yes. and, and, and they got a very bad rap out of it and some kids haven't recovered from that and it's kind of the school's job to help them so, so how can you do that? 
Well, again, I suppose just by having conversations, and I suppose from our point of view, not focusing solely on the fact that they mightn't have learned how to do their subtraction properly. That will come in time, but by focusing first on making sure that everyone feels safe and that they're given a space to discuss how they feel about this. Mm. And when you do that, children come out with the most profound and amazing thoughts about it. And they comfort each other Mm. in a way that an adult can't do. They come out with wisdom that would leave us years behind them if we could only capture and, and bottle it. Absolutely. Getting to this stage and getting to the next stage, you'll do what's expected of you. What must the department and the minister do to help you get there? Well, I suppose from my point of view, the first thing that I would like is communication. I feel like that is something that principals have not had in that the first thing we heard about about anything was always through Twitter or her.ie or on your, you know, just leaks from the media generally. And that's very difficult to act upon because families start getting anxious. They're emailing me or ringing me and asking me for answers. I don't have them because typically we get our answers at half seven on a Friday night when a circular lands into the email well after a formal announcement has been made. So that to us, I think, would be really helpful. Um, and in terms of, I suppose, taking any outbreaks in schools very seriously, that's really what needs yeah. to be done. Do you yet have a, a direct, I know we talked about this last year, do you yet have a, a, a direct number that a school can call for public health advice when you yes, hear of a do. case? You do? We do. Yeah, we do. And is it a kind um, of a case of, right, we've got, okay, you leave it to us now, we'll do everything. Is, is that there yet? Well, that's certainly, in, we had a case very early on, the HSC acted very quickly and really it was quite seamless. From, but I know mm. that not every school had exactly the same experience. Yeah. So we haven't had any lately. So I suppose we have to wait and see. I get back to you on that one. Indeed. Uh, we hear more and more now, we seem to be coming around to the idea of, of rapid testing or antigen testing, uh, as they call it, and, and that one particular test might be given the green light for use. Would it make life easier if, if teachers and maybe even uh, pupils could, could be tested in these quick 15-minute ways? Well, I certainly think I think anything that makes schools safer is going to be very welcomed. So I don't know much about how effective these tests are, but I do think that speeding up testing is something that would really, really help everyone's peace of mind. Um, because if you have a child in a class who does test positive for, for COVID-19 or a staff member, it, it does give peace of mind to everyone else if they know whether they are positive or negative. It just keeps everything calm. Peace of now, mind. I have to say, our, our, our school community here has been absolutely amazing. When we had our first positive case, I had a very difficult 24 hours because I wasn't sure if everyone was going to panic. It was really early in the time. And everybody has been so supportive and understanding. So really, I think all of the parents in Ireland need to give themselves a pat on the back because home, I have my own three at home. Homeschooling, is, it, it's not easy. And they've, all of our parents have put in such an effort to support us at home and to support the schools that I think that, um, now I know that they were delighted, going off to the nice quiet coffee yesterday after they dropped the children off, but it was well-deserved. Um, I think parents have put in a really, really difficult few months. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to be everything because you're trying to be their your child's parent, your child's teacher. Mm. Um, it, it's and not, probably and kind of work at the same time as well. Yeah, 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 it, yeah, it's really not. It's really not um, a natural situation, and I think that um, the Irish community have done really, really well. Oh, yeah. um, we've certainly found 
huge support from all of our parents. Right. And here's, um, here's, so here's hoping that that continues and that everything goes well and the next bunch can go back in two weeks' time. Teresa, thank you very much. Teresa O'Sullivan, uh, the principal of Skull Cleaner in Carrick Tool. There's something she raises. We've all know the whole Cochlan versus Callan thing in Cork. Terry's looking at me now wondering what the hell I'm talking about. Cochlan versus Callan, we all know it. Do they say Cochlan in Mallow? I've never heard of that before. 1850-715-996. Kate says, when mommy is expecting a baby, there's a leaflet given out to explain things for children. I think that a similar leaflet should be brought out for COVID-19 to explain things in a child-sympathetic way. Nice idea. Nice idea, Katie. Yeah, it is pronounced Cochlin in Laos. It's pronounced Cochlin practically everywhere except Cork. In fact, it is pronounced Cochlin everywhere except Cork, but to find a town like Mallow pronouncing it Cochlin would be strange. The great Mihalo Mutahertig once had to deal with two teams uh, on which there was a Cochlin and a Colin. And the two of them were playing midfield. And did that brilliant man make one mistake in the course of a, a 70-minute game of hurling? Not at all. He did not. He got it right every time. 1850-715-996. On South Dock, Andrew in Blackpool says, history does have a habit of repeating itself. Dare I say it, PJ? The North Infirmary. You dare say it. A fella walked all the... Hang on a while, says this. There's always a hang on a while, isn't there? I love going, hang on a while, no. A fella walked all the way from Farinree to South Dock on the Kinsale Road. <laughs> How sick was he? I get the point, though. I mean, people, he, he might have been walking to get advice for a child or get advice for a loved one. He mightn't have been able to get through, do you know? Uh, well, I, I, another blow to the people of the north side by the government. No uh, South Dock and no vaccination centre. Yeah, well, we've... Oh, now, I don't know of anybody who calls it Coughlin in Cork, although I have heard it. It's in sort of posh places. They might call you Coughlin in, in, in Dorky, do you know? <laughs> I've never heard of a Coughlin in Cork, though. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96 FM. If, seriously, if you have ever come across anybody in Cork who calls themselves Coughlin, or if you are someone who calls yourself Coughlin, you would be a first in my <laughs> years on this planet that I've ever have, have met one. Love to know if there is, though. 1850-715-996. Let's go back to that subject of antigen testing for schools. Neffet hasn't yet advised it. In fact, reading was it the examiner in the last two days. Neffet is kind of saying at this stage anyway that it's not necessary. But at the same time, there's, there's a push for it to happen to keep the schools operating. Uh, Donegal Lairo of Sinn Féin is there um, their education spokesman, Cork South Central TD. Donica, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Now, if I do say there's kind of no need. Well, I suppose that's the position at the minute, but I suppose we need to look at maybe what they're asking people to look at and what we're expecting back over the next while. I might just take the opportunity first to say, though, just like, I mean, we're talking in the context of schools, just to, I suppose, commend everyone involved in the reopening of schools for the first four classes of primary schools 
and for leaving certain. It's a huge effort under very tight time scales, uh, greatly appreciated by by many parents, families, indeed the children themselves. And I want to commend everyone involved in that because it's a huge relief to an awful lot of people in challenging circumstances. And that has to be acknowledged too. Yeah. And we need to do a lot more to ensure that schools are made as safe as possible. Antigen testing may have a role to play in this. I suppose Neffet's position is their position until it's not their position, obviously. Um, they have asked an expert group chaired by uh, Mark Ferguson uh, from the Science Foundation to look at this. And it is expected that they will come back with their report uh, over the coming week or two. And it is reported that it's expected that they will recommend that antigen testing be a part of this. So what does that mean in concrete terms? Now, I suppose it does need to be said, if Neffet aren't happy with it, uh, if it's not meeting the standard, that it's not useful from a public health point of view, well, then obviously that, you know... Well, well the be... comparison there would be made immediately, Donica. You know, if it's good enough for haulage drivers on the supply chain, then surely it's good enough to keep teachers safe. And yeah, children. well, like, I mean, yeah, so, like, I mean, I suppose we need to just understand, I suppose, the, the purpose of antigen testing and the role it has to play. So it's not a replacement for the PCR test, but it can complement it very well. And I think it can make a huge addition mm. uh, to, to ensuring that our schools are safe. So if Neffet recommended on the back of the expert report that they're going to get back over the next week or two, and we'll have to see, and we do need Neffet to sign off on this, we shouldn't be implementing it unless they back it, but I expect there's a very good chance that they will. So if that happens, then probably you could have a situ- one of the kind of situations that you could have is that uh, symptomatic cases or sorry, positive cases and their close contacts are tested by the PCR. And then the rest of the school is then undergoes rapid testing. And that helps you identify uh, what classes are safe to open, whether the school itself needs to be closed as a whole. It gives you a global picture and it gives you it very fast. So it's not a replacement, but it can be a complementary uh, tool. And it can also be a complementary tool in other scenarios. It can be a massive system. You just mentioned haulage there. It can make a huge difference in terms of meat factories, in terms of congregated settings, where there is, um, you know, at-risk groups in mm. terms of healthcare settings. And what's really important, Donica, is it's cheap as chips. It is absolutely, yeah. No, no, it is, uh, it is very affordable and it is very quick. It could if you buy them in enough numbers, you're paying about, I think, about $6. Well, about five right. euro if you buy them in, in huge numbers. That's about right, yes. Uh, now, I suppose the key thing here, though, is going to be capacity. And we've had that problem throughout the whole pandemic in relation to capacity, that you need to ensure that you have enough people involved in rolling this out. So it doesn't matter if you have a pile of antigen tests stockpiled in a warehouse, if you don't have the people to administer them and record the tests and get them back and all that kind of stuff. So it's that capacity that has been a problem right through this. And for me... The key element, there's a lot I think more needs to be done to ensure that schools can remain open safely and it's absolutely our objective to ensure that they remain open in a way that's safe. And the next, the next two safe. weeks will be crucial, won't last you briefly, it will be crucial to see can we get the second tranche back on the 15th. What needs to be, what needs to happen? Well, I think as I was just coming to that, it's the contact uh, tracing and the testing that is crucial and the antigen testing as soon as we can get it in, if it's recommended, will help speed up that. But the contact tracing is crucial as well. And I have to say, uh, I, I got mixed reports in relation to that, in relation to schools in the past, some schools who were absolutely delighted with the support that they got. But in some instances, school staff who couldn't understand why they weren't identified as a school transmission or, or a close contact, and indeed parents for that matter. So we need to crack that. We need to ensure that everyone who can be realistically considered a close contact is followed up very quickly, is mm. given that information very quickly, well, and is referred for a test, and they get that result back quickly. If you, so if you look at the standard they set, if you look at the standard, they, 
if you, if you look at the stat- standard they set in New Zealand where they had a break, an outbreak at Papatoetoe High School, they had identified 2,300, they tested 2,300 people within 36 hours. Absolutely. And as, like, I mean, that's, as, that's, I, I, I do think that that is actually achievable, particularly if, if you have that antigen uh, yeah. testing to assist in the, in the global side of things. But, um, but that is the objective we need to set because, okay. look, if we are serious about education being a priority, and I think rightly, you know, our children have lost out an awful lot. Listen, I'd be delighted when fourth class goes back in a fortnight from our family's point mm-hmm. of view, uh, and it'll be a huge relief to us and, and uh, to our son. But uh, we need to, uh, we, to ensure that schools can remain open. We get the benefit from that. We need to invest, particularly okay. in testing and tracing, but also in other safety measures. Okay. Going to leave it there for no reason other than time, Donica. Thank you very much. Donica O'Leary, Sinn Féin, uh, spokesman on education and Cork South Central TD. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Caller on the phone says, can you ever belt up about the teachers? What about all the children who work their socks off for the exams? I understand that people who are vulnerable and teaching should be protected. 100% behind that. But the rest of them, they need to be thinking about the kids and the worry of the parents too. Stop siding with the professions and stand up for the ordinary person. Well, teachers are ordinary people too, point number one. Whether they're professional or not. Point number two, most of the support for teachers that I've heard on this program has come from parents. Most of the parents want it to be safe for the kids and safe for the teachers. Stop siding with the professions. So obviously people who have professions can't get or die from COVID-19, obviously. (sighs) Breathe, Peach. Breathe, breathe. 1850-715-996 1850-715-996 the number to call the text to whatsapp 0833-969696 the email opinion at 96fm.ie if you missed anything from our first hour remember the podcast it's available in early afternoon we put it up first on Twitter and then the link goes to all of your various platforms if you're subscribing on your platform it'll be updated for you automatically and of course it goes to the Cork's 96fm app where you'll find us under the podcasts section and it don't cost you a single red cent. Podcast is available every afternoon. Coming up, I will go through those letters sent out by the Diocese of Cork and Ross and signed by Bishop Gavin about communions and confirmations. I'd also love to know, just in passing, because I guess, I don't, do we have water cooler conversations these days with offices empty or half empty? But it's the topic of conversation all over the place now. It's what happened with Gordon Elliott, the horse trainer. Have you got thoughts on it? The photograph, the dead horse. Have you thoughts? There are those who believe that Gordon Elliott probably should never work again. Do you share that view? There are those who believe, look, it was a mistake, which one among us hasn't made one. Punish him by all means, but then move on. There are those, I don't think he's going to be allowed to have any of his horses at Cheltenham as a result of it. Then, of course, that goes to the whole Cheltenham argument, whether that should be going ahead anyway, which it is with no with no crowd. So I'd like your thoughts on that, if you've any to share with us. We think there might be a family of Coughlins around the Castle Martyr Stroke Mogili area, if they can identify themselves to us to be great. Now, yesterday was an important deadline. 
and one that might have passed without you noticing unless you're actually involved. It was the deadline for the cutting of hedges around the city and county. Lorna Madden. Lorna, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, so I suppose as you're saying, um, every year there is a deadline for cutting hedges. Um, It has to be done uh, before the 1st of March. And now between the 1st of March and right up to the 31st of August, it's actually an illegal activity. So it's a criminal offence to be cutting hedges during that time. Hang on, uh, does this include your own hedge? No, so this is uh, specifically hedgerows or the other one is uncultivated areas, so wild areas. So we're talking about, you know, uh, the hedgerows, they have a diverse amount of wildlife in them, uh, different types of hedges, you know, often trees as well. We're not talking about your standard garden hedge here. Are we talking the side of the road on the public road? Yes, so these are also included in your hedgerows and all these bits that come up beside the road. So there is you know, uh, as we're talking about public roads, an important exception here. So uh, if a hedgerow is along a public road and you cut it during this period, it may be allowed if that hedgerow is causing a hazard. So you have overhanging branches yeah. or, or things kind of hanging over or it affects the sight line. But yeah, you know, I'm thinking in particular in terms of bus routes and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, exactly. These sort of things that kind of come over, if they're going to be a hazard to that public road or footpath as well, if they're coming too far into a footpath overgrowing and you can't walk in it properly, they can be cut back then. Okay. But, you know, it's important that it's if it's causing a hazard, not because it wasn't done before the 1st of March or, you know, uh, to kind of neaten up an area. It yeah. really is you know, a hazard. And is it mostly farmers that would do this? It is, yeah. So this is mostly applicable to farmers. We have a lot of hedgerows in Ireland. Most of them are, of course, going to be, uh, you know, a long farms. But the actual activity itself, you know, the cutting of it, the obligation is on the landowner, the farmer, the person who's renting the land. But if they don't do it, then the local authority can step in. Supposing you're on, say, an industrial estate, I just use it an example, and, and you border a farm and there's a hedgerow or, or a ditch... And it's encroaching because it's grown, brambles and things are, have grown out. Of, it's encroaching into the entrance to your industrial estate. Are you allowed to get a chainsaw and cut that away? Well, I think, look, Joe, if it's bordering the land, what you need to do, the first step is always to talk to the person who owns the land beside you. That's the most important thing. And again, you know, I suppose the only test that we actually have is if it's a hazard. So, look, if you can't get into the entrance of the industrial estate or if, you know, it's becoming a nuisance, you can't see beside it or anything like that, yes, then you can cut it during that time. But, you know, it's not to remove it completely. It's to cut out that bit that's a hazard. So if there's a bit of branch that's growing further, you cut that. What are the penalties for for breaking? this law? So it can be prosecuted in a district court and the penalty is fine of up to €5,000. Wow, for cutting a ditch, people would say. <laughs> yes, well, it is for cutting a ditch, but at the same time, you know, they're very important in terms of environmental reasons um, and it is protected, you know, it's, it's uh, the act that it's protected under is the Wildlife Protection Act. Yeah, so, I mean, what kind of wildlife lives in your common or garden ditch? 
Or hedgerow. So, uh, well, I suppose I'm, I'm coming on here, I suppose, um, as a, a barrister and talking about the, the legal implications. So my expertise in this, you know, uh, I suppose, is, is just my knowledge. But, yeah. you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, your hedgehogs. We're talking about a lot of birds, especially, uh, different types of uh, bird life that live in there. Um, and you have, you know, rabbits and hares and all these sort of things as well, um, as well as the actual uh, different types of uh, fauna itself. So the different types of trees and the different types of, of hedges and shrubs. I see. Okay, so from now until the 31st of August, it's it's illegal to cut a hedgerow unless it is a hazard. Yes, that's essentially it. There are some other exceptions, you know, if you're a farmer and you have some weeds, so uh, ragworts and things like that growing in it, you can get rid of that. Um, so there are some sort of exceptions, or if there's a construction site and you have to do the road going up to that. But essentially, that, you know, that, that's the headline. It's an illegal activity until the 31st and of August. just to reiterate, Lorna, because somebody will have heard this wrong, this does not apply to Mr Murphy trimming his hedge. It does not apply to Mr Murphy trimming, you know, the, the laurel bush in the garden. Okay, all right. Thank you very much for that. Lorna Madden, Barrister at Law. Um, that strange rule, law, which you might not have known about or thought about, as of yesterday, it is now a criminal offence to cut a hedgerow or a ditch at the side of the road unless it provides a hazard. And it could be a €5,000 fine. Go to court about it. But don't be thinking that the poor fella out the... Uh, I'll be out, I know... We'll be out now in a couple of weeks having to the ditch. That's not a problem. That's not a problem. 1850 715 996. Uh, I'm calling, God, what did I start? Colin versus Coughlin with the occasional appearance of Coughlin in the mix. You do have Tim Colin on C103. His name is Coughlin. That's one of the oldest arguments in this entire company. Um, is it Coughlin or Colin? I think he pronounces it Coughlin himself, which is why we would need to go for the co- If the person wants to call themselves Coughlin, then obviously they are Coughlin. He's from Aherla, that part of the county. In North Cork, says Joan, it's always Coughlin. Only when I came to the city did I hear Colin. And as they say, we think we might have a Coughlin somewhere in Castle Martyr or Mogili. 1850 On returning to school, I was okay about it until I saw about 40 Leaving Cert students rock up to schools in their cars and at lunchtime pile all of their buddies into a trip downtown for lunch. A hundred or so students, all travelling, packed into cars. Hopefully the government won't try to hide figures this time with median age of 30 and all of that. It would be nice if the mammies and daddies who slated the teachers for the last few months would make sure little Johnny isn't acting as a COVID missile around town. 1850 715 Tim Brosnan says the January surge spread of the UK variant is directly attributable to government and Iraq's failure to stop UK flights and ferries for Christmas. Back in the 60s, government stopped travel for foot and mouth. Now, unfortunately, the eunuchs are running the show. You don't have to go back to the 60s, Tim. I can remember sitting in this chair uh, in 2000, uh, covering for the Denny incumbent for a little while, and I can remember matches off 
I can remember the border closed. I can remember travel. And I will say this, I can remember travel and movement being more restricted then than it is now because of a disease that only animals could get. Yeah, we weren't confined to 5K. That's, that's, that's right. But travel generally was more restricted then than it is now for a disease that only animals could get. 1850-715-996. Got some reports yesterday on the programme about congestion down around Crosshaven on Sunday and apparently Fountaintown very busy and very few of them were in uh, within their 5K. Councillor Audrey Buckley was on here from Crosshaven yesterday saying that when the guards were called, all the poor guards had was two push bikes to get themselves out from Carrigaline to Crosshaven, which is just like something out of a bad film. Ballancolic Regional Park was like a beehive on Sunday, or so I am told. Check it out next. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Spend your afternoon in Cork with all the big names. Adele, Ed Sheeran, Gaga and Dermot, they're all here. See you from midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Today's Echo has a story that says elderly and vulnerable people are staying away from the regional park in Ballancolic because it's become overcrowded in recent weeks due to lockdown and now the improving weather. Those are the words of local councillor Derry Canty. Derry, good morning. Good morning, PJ. I did hear from a work colleague of the Queen Bee who lives quite near the regional <laughs> park over the weekend that was a bit like a beehive. It was. It was very, very busy altogether, really busy. But how can you not say so, uh, PJ, when you had bad weather leading up to it, and now you have this, and on top of that, as I said previously, the the 5K lockdown is really putting people into the regional park, which we're we're welcome that. We welcome that it's being used. But at the same time, we'll have to look at some way of controlling the numbers. How you can do that, I'm not sure. What did you observe at the weekend? Well, myself and my wife were down there walking out on the Sunday and absolutely, there it was just jammed. And you see, I love to see it down there. I love to see the kids down there. You have the playgrounds, you have the walkways, you can go through the woods area and you have four entrances. So we're, con- we're all coming from different uh, sections of the, we're coming from the east to the west, walking through it nicely. But what a lot of people are coming back to me saying, with the people on the bikes and the kids on their bicycles, please slow down mm. and have a bed on their bike. I thought you weren't allowed to cycle around in there. Pardon? I thought you weren't allowed cycle around in there. Well, who's going to enforce it? Who's going to enforce not, it? You're not, are you? You're not. That's what I'm asking. You're not supposed to walk with, you know, but the point is they come in from the eastern side and cycle out to the west and go back through the village, the town centre, and back in. You see, your site. You have you you have a circle to do, and you can come in. You see the cars with the bicycle uh, carriers on the back of them. You then know there is bicycles in there. 
But, like, okay, it's, it's there for everyone. You just can't point the finger at someone. But please, all we're asking is that elderly people are down there. They're delighted to get out. This is their walk. This is how, they, you know, they can go down and just salute their neighbours or just say hi. And, and like, we have signage up, walk on the left. Mm. Please stay on the left-hand side and... And we'd all get through it okay, but people are not agreeing to that. They don't care about it. And but the biggest problem we have is bicycles. Yeah. Do you think you have people coming from outside the five k? I believe it. You you know okay. How, how can you stop it? Like you can't have a guard reach entrance into Barrancali King where you're coming from. Where we're going to the regional park. You know. Let's be realistic. It's there for everyone to use. Everyone. Yeah. Not just one section of it, or one segment of people. We heard, we are there. So, to, but it would be a terrible shame, Derry. And I, I admit the five k is hard to enforce. Not impossible. I, I dispute that, but not impossible. But hard to enforce. But but what you now have, by the looks of things, is that locals who live only across the road, but that's their little bit of rest, respite and for an elderly person who might struggle with a stick, a little little stroll in the park, they're afraid to go in there now. That is what is coming to at this moment, especially at the weekends, especially at the weekends during the week. I've no problem with it. I'm down there three, four times a week. We do our walk down there. We do the figure eight. We might come in from the regional park side down the bottom by the bridge and come in that area. We might come in from the, the church area or we might come in from the down further down by the GAA. You know, you have four different sections it's coming a huge up the park. park is, like, yeah. It's a massive park. It's a beautiful park. And I give compliments not at all to Cox City Council at the moment because they've taken it over from Cox County Council who originally put that in, in train. Fado, fado, as we say. But at the moment, it's actually beautiful. The flowers and everything are down there at the moment. Yeah. And everything is beautiful. There's a joy down there at the weekend. And I did, hand on heart, I did meet a lot of people who were not from the Ballincollig area. And I knew damn well they were from outside the area. And, and tell me, as a, as, a, as a public representative, Derry, did, did you not turn around and say to them, you know, you shouldn't be here? Well, you know the look you get, PJ. Uh, never mind you the know. look. Never mind the look. You did you know, say I, it? He's like, all you can do is, you know, hop a ball. Right, uh, how did you get here? Did you walk it? Or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the car parks would show you, like, a lot of people from Ballincollig walked it down. I met an awful lot of people who were walking it from Rose. But, like, if you, oh, yeah, okay. if you met me now, and you know where I live, right? I do. If you, if you met me next Sunday out in Ballincollig Regional Park, would you say to me, come here, PJ, you shouldn't be here, bye. Honest to God, yes, I would. But like PJ, you would just kind of shrug it off and say, look, the lock is packed, Murphy's Farm is packed, Farnwood is packed, and the regional park is really lovely for kids, which it is, it's safe. Ah, no, 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 it's gorgeous, it is lovely. And the, down by the river is just beautiful. Oh, unreal. It is and the flowers, gorgeous, yeah. The flowers yeah, there yeah. Now this morning is beautiful. Beautiful it's down yeah, there this no. morning. It's lovely now. Oh, there's no problem. But it's just at the weekend. And as you know yourself, PJ, hopefully, hopefully, if the five mile K will be lifted, then people will start okay, well, if we keep it, If we keep behaving ourselves and we keep somewhere. doing the right thing, we might get that lifted after the 5th of April. We can only hope. Derry, thanks very much. That's uh, Councillor Derry Canty uh, from Ballincollig. The Ballincollig Carrigaline Line electoral area, which is huge now. Huge. But yeah, I mean, like, as a public rep walking through Ballancolic Regional Park in his own backyard on a Sunday and he meets someone he knows isn't from the area, you can say, you shouldn't be here. You know the second word is going to be off from a lot of them. But anyway, 
1850 But the real worry he has is the bikes and the rollerblades and the skateboards and all those things. Some poor old woman will be knocked down out in her walk. And as a result of that, they're now afraid uh, to go out. The problem is there is a cycleway, says this call, a cycleway all the way from Cork City down to the park now. So people are using it with the good weather. But you're not supposed to cycle in the park. Yes, there is a cycleway all the way. You're not actually supposed to cycle in the park. 1850 Uh Aha. News just in. Two breaking stories, actually. Brian Eyre. Ho, ho. We now... You'll remember last week, I'm just taking this in, thanks Terry, the journal.ie's just broken this story. Last week we were talking about Cork Airport. And you'll remember that we told you that there is a plan later this year to rebuild, renovate, refurbish, call it what you will, the main runway. And we told you that we had an extremely dependable source in the airport that couldn't tell us whether this work, essential work, would take place by day or by night. Traditionally, it would always be done by night, but it's somewhat cheaper to do it by day. And at the time we were speaking last week, there was no decision or there was nothing in the tender documents about doing it by night or by day, and that no decision would be made until a contract had been signed, which we think is going to happen in April. But the, the the worry is there that this work would be done by day, which would require the closure, almost entire closure of the airport for a period of many weeks. Ryanair has confirmed its base at Cork Airport will not reopen until winter due to the airport's plans to renovate its runway. Now, I think this is whatever they're doing with the runway. Ryanair are doing this. The airport described the decision as a crazy plan and its planes based at Cork would not be able to take off early in the morning or land late at night. So Ryanair was not going to open its base at Cork Airport until at least the winter of 2021. It will continue to fly to Cork with aircraft based at other airports. So it will fly in and out as normal, but its base, in other words, the fact that it keeps planes there that come in late at night and go out early in the morning, it'll close those. Okay. Okay. It says that the Taoiseach Michal Martin should be encouraging recovery incentives at Cork Airport and not construction work at an airport that's essentially empty. Ryanair says that uh, the government needs to provide a clear roadmap for the recovery of Cork Airport, which in fact continues to be the most expensive of Ireland's major airport. It has failed to offer any COVID recovery incentives and now plans to undertake runway work during the months of September, October, November, which would prevent... Ryanair's Cork-based airport, as we already said. That's a development. And we still don't know what happened. Is that work going to be done by day or by night? We still don't know that. But it's a very interesting development from Ryanair today. Not flying out of Cork again until winter 2021. 
at the earliest. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leeside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The Everyman working with YMC Cork in collaboration with Graffiti Theatre is presenting a dedicated engagement programme for young people. It's called Theatre Making and Citizenship Cork and in this programme, young people will be introduced to theatre through conversation, engagement and creation. The pilot project is now underway with five online workshops and for more information, check out everyonecork.com. Access all areas. The Sleeve Lucre series is a video concert series showcasing great music and songs from the hills of Cork, Kerry and Limerick. The series is broadcast from sleevelucre.ie and features music from Anya and Francis O'Connor, Neve Nicara, Tim Brown, Brian O'Leary and more talented young musicians. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Bernie says, PJ, I've been cocooning over a year can't understand why now that the weather is improving they can't just close the beaches and the parks after all we're supposed to be in a lockdown thanks Bernie then on Twitter Neve says that effectively Derry Canty is just trying to get his name out there he said what a stupid thing to say the park is there to be enjoyed after we tweeted that he wants park users to be more mindful of others I'm wondering what's stupid with that, Neve. Just be mindful of others. If you're in the park and you're on a skateboard or a bike or your children are going around on their bikes and skateboards, like be mindful of others. That's all. That's all he's asking. Well, he would also prefer if people who were not within their 5K wouldn't come to the park. People are arguing blind about this 5K and how unfair and how awful it is. And it's not easy. But Bernie says, well, and Bernie's right. When the lockdown came first last year, and we'll mark that occasion next week, it'll be the first anniversary of when the first lockdown came in, will be around next week. Um, nothing was open. Parks weren't open. Beaches weren't open. Well, they kept people away from the beaches. Another call saying there should be park rangers policing that park. That's exactly what I meant when I said to Derry County, it's not impossible to police it. It's difficult, but not impossible. There should, of course, be park rangers. And if necessary, why not ask for a couple of soldiers from uh, Collins and Barracks to go out there and mind the place for the afternoon. 1857 We have talked in the past about ghost brokers in terms of car insurance, and it is still going on. Today's Irish Independent has a piece about it. Lots, lots of drivers still being approached by ghost brokers and still being... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Taken in by ghost brokers. Charlie Weston, good morning. Good morning, PJ. R- remind listeners again what a ghost broker is. Yeah, it sounds like a benign phrase, ghost broker, but it's a, quite a sinister thing. These people are essentially fraudsters. They often you, offer you cheap insurance. Uh, it's usually on social media where they advertise, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, or else by word of mouth. Um, they're essentially kind of claim that they're the middlemen for insurance companies and uh, they, they claim that they can offer you a legitimate cover for, for your car or, or van or truck or whatever at a cheaper price. Mm. Uh, but invariably what they're doing is they're forging documents, they're using false information uh, and, and uh, you know, they're, they're, they usually find that the, the policy might, they might just pay the first months of it for you and then it's gone. Uh, and, and, and the people who are victims of this, they don't realise that they're not getting ge- genuine cover. Uh, they have a, an insurance disc and uh, they don't realise it's false until they're stopped by the, the guards or, or they have to make a claim. And the insurance company says, well, hold on a minute here. We have no policy with you. Uh, and this is a real problem. Uh, it, it's out there. And unfortunately, there's been some survey results back from a survey that was commissioned by Liberty Insurance so that most people, most people don't know about this. They just don't know what this ghost broking is. But the even more sinister aspect of the survey results is those people who do know about it, say a lot of them are saying they've been approached by a ghost broker offering them seemingly cheap and legitimate insurance, which is anything but. but the, the, the way that the internet works now, Charlie, if, if you're looking online to legitimately insure a, a new car and you're going through the various legitimate providers, what will happen is that ads will start popping into your social media and they might be from, shall we say, not so legitimate sources. And it is, isn't it? It's, it's a fellow who has a, a very impressive Facebook page or a very impressive Twitter thread and says, look, I am a middleman for such and such a company. You work with me. I'll get you a deal. What are they offering you? We say 550. Right, I'll do it for you for 350. 
you pay him and you, you end up with a for, forged documents effectively. That's it, exactly, PJ. Yeah, and you're right. The algorithms on these um, social media uh, will mean that the, the advertisement for the dodgy ghost broker will find you if you're buying a car or considering financing a car. And you have to be so careful. Um, this is just a real problem. Uh, and, and, and they have a patter or spiel, and, and they sound legitimate. Sure, they're, they're, they're giving the same spiel all the time, so, that's, so they have it down to a T. And they convince you that they, 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 as you say, they're a middleman, that they're acting on behalf of the insurance company. Uh, but look, there's And have they had any contact at all with the insurance company? Well, they may do. They may have one or two legitimate policies that they've opened, um, you know, with legitimate um, documents. But they then go and copy those or uh, alter them and uh, try and fool the companies. And sometimes <sighs> the companies are not great at, at spotting these. So they get the documents from a genuine policy. Yeah, and, and alter fake them as it were. Alter them. I see. And part of the problem, PJ, at the moment is a lot of uh, your know, office work, typically insurance companies. People are working from home, so they're not in the office examining these documents coming yeah. in. Uh, so it's much harder to spot a trend here. So the fear is that this thing is just growing at the moment. Um, but look, there's a few obvious red flags there. I mean, if, if you're not being provided with a proper email, it's a Gmail or a Hotmail account. You're only provided with a mobile number and you're asked to meet somebody in a car park to hand them over a, a load of cash. They will insist on cash. They are warning signs. So a legitimate broker will have an office. They'll be registered with the central bank. They won't be asking you for insisting on a cash deposit. They won't be using a Gmail. They'll have a proper company email account. Uh, and, and, you know, and often the people targeted in this are people who are not natives of this country, so their English mightn't be great, you know. Mm. Uh, a lot of the Polish community have, have been targeted in this stuff. Now, there have been some arrests, and the Guardian have gone after a lot of these guys and, and uh, brought them to court, but yeah. it's it's lucrative business, and if it's lucrative business, it's going to thrive, unfortunately, PJ. You mentioned the cash, and, and there's an additional thing which was brought to my attention. You know you can now buy, Charlie, for, for not a lot of money, you can buy a gadget that you attach to your mobile phone or your iPad and it allows you to take a card payment and it looks very legitimate too and it is legitimate but it's going into your account not the insurance party's account or the insurance company's account what isn't helping and I I wanted to bring this up with you what isn't helping is the number of complaints I've had in the last while from people who are operating and insured by genuine insurance companies the car has been sitting in the drive for most of the last year because they're working from home and sure since before Christmas no one's going anywhere and now their insurance policy has gone up by several hundred euro and they've made no claims let alone not driven the car uh, you know, insurance as well needs to be m- mentioned is mandatory. It's a legal requirement. You're right. Volume, traffic volumes are right down. Claims are down, and yet uh, I am bombarded on a daily basis by people are saying to me, "Hold on a minute here. Just got my renewal quote from the insurance company. It's higher than it was last year. How can this be? Uh, it can only be because uh, they think you're a patsy and they think you're you, you'll pay more. And and you know, there's no legal basis they, for this at all. No. No, that's the way they treat people. And the central bank, years denied that there was this thing going on where um, price, dual pricing, they call it, is where they, they, again, your algorithms, they're using big data to work out who they think won't challenge the, the renewal quote. They're kind of people who stump up the money every year without questioning it, who don't go off and search out better value. And they will send you a higher a higher renewal quote 
uh, if they think that, that they'll get away with it and that's what they're at and the central bank for ages were telling us it's not a problem all of a sudden last December they found the majority of insurance companies in this country are engaged in this sinister dual, dual pricing thing where if they think that you, you'll, you'll, you'll take on a higher price they'll, they'll hit you with a higher price so you've got to challenge them you've got to go out there go to a good broker an honest decent broker or else go and do your own legwork and, and, and see can you get a better price by ringing around or going in mm. online so where they catch people as well, Charlie, is and, and a lot of the bigger companies now, and I wouldn't be naming anyone in particular, but what they do is if you have one car with them and you have the second little runabout, they'll give you a deal on that. You put the yeah. house with them, they give you another deal. So you're not going to take any of those elements out of the package, and they know that, so they'll hit, yeah. they can hit you for a grand yeah. for the Ford Fiesta. Oh yeah, yeah. That this bundling thing—you get a good discount if you if you if you, if you two or more cars, and uh, you're right, the home insurance as well. And, and they're trying to they're trying to get you loyal, make you loyal, but then they're going to punish your loyalty. So people need to wise up to this. I mean, they're, they're, I've been banging this drum for a long time about loyalty just gets punished by insurance companies in this country. Don't be loyal. Uh, and this is particularly a problem for older people who, who, who are just not inclined to shop around. They think their loyalty is going to be rewarded. That's gone out. That went out with the ARC, that stuff. That's that's from my father's generation. Loyalty is not, is not any more uh, rewarded. You have to treat insurance companies cynically because they're treating you cynically. So you've got to check it out. You've got to question what they're, what they're sending to you. And don't get fooled, as you say, PJ, by the old bundle argument. Sure, if I break up this bundle, then the discount is gone. You'll probably find you can usually undercut what you're being quoted, even with or without a bundle, if you do put a bit of work into it. There are, there's more than a dozen motor insurers out there. So make sure that you're asking you know, to get quotes from a, a good sprinkle of them so that you're not just stuck with the same crowd every year. Okay, all right. good advice. Thank you very much. Charlie Weston, personal finance editor with the Irish Independent. Those ghost brokers still out there. We've been talking about this on the opinion line for a couple of years now. If it looks too good to be true, it is. So if you've been quoted a thousand euro for your Ford Fiesta by any particular insurer, and you go online, and some fella is popping up there going, hello, I can do that for you for 500 uh, as a middleman and it's only on social media and he wants it in cash run a mile because it's probably a fraud 1850-715-996 text to whatsapp 083-396-96-96 just want to go back to Ryanair uh, mentioned their decision not to reopen their base until winter at earliest, and that this is to do with the renovations planned at the airport for the latter end of the year. Now, this is important. Ryanair will continue to fly in and out of Cork. It will only not have air co- aircraft based there. So, if they'll have, they'll have, obviously they'll have planes based at Stansted or Shannon or Alicante or wherever. They will fly in and out of Cork, but they will not have airline airplanes based in Cork. All right. They will be flying in and out and hope to reopen the base in the winter and that they remain committed to Cork Airport. That's the latest update on that particular development. 1850-715-996. Good morning, PJ. Fitzgerald's Park was jammed on Sunday. People having picnics in huge groups 
Also, up and down the Mardike, no such thing as social distancing. Thanks, Margaret from Blackpool. See, it's going to be it's going to be a thing, and as the weather gets better, and Sunday was such a beautiful day. Sunday was a pet day. It was like a day in May. People are going to go out, and people are going to circulate, and it's up to yourself. If if you if you think someone is too close to you, get away from them. Could you ask that people not pick that? This comes up every year. This comes up every single year. Could you ask that people not pick the daffodils in the tank field? Every year we look forward to them coming out as a reminder of spring. But lately, including this year, the children are picking them. And worse, the parents are helping them. Come on, be fair. Leave the view for the rest of us. Yeah. You get about two weeks worth of the March daffodils anywhere. <laughs> Until, well, I suppose fellas won't be out now. But what used to happen was on the, the Saturday or night before Mother's Day, fellas would be out in the pub and they'd realise going home, maybe a small bit of Mishka at one o'clock, oh God, I've nothing for herself for the morning. Oh my God, I forgot the Mother's Day. Then they will whip bunches of daffodils from anywhere they're growing to have them in the morning. 1850-715-996. Something interesting coming out of Euro News with regard to vaccines. Darren McCaffrey, who's the political editor of Euronews, he was on the show with us a few weeks ago. He's tweeting at the moment that Austria and Denmark are to forge a vaccine alliance with Israel to fight future waves of COVID. The Austrian Chancellor, Mr. Kurz, and the Danish Prime Minister, Mr. Fredriksen, are travelling to Jerusalem to discuss a new joint approach sounds like a bit of a Marvel film <laughs> Avengers Assemble or something uh, but they are they're apparently getting together with uh, Netanyahu to work out a joint approach for fighting future waves of coronavirus now as we were talking to Corkman Daniel in Jerusalem last Friday the rollout over there is proceeding at a colossal pace tremendous pace now the social media side of it is a bit disastrous and the app isn't really working and there are problems behind the scenes but but definitely the rollout in Israel is the fastest in the world Denmark actually has a massively advanced rollout too what they did was when they realised that the main vaccines like Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca but Pfizer in particular, when they realised that Pfizer had to be transported at um, temperatures like Antarctica and lower, they got freezers. They went and bought a load of freezers to do it. That's, that's kind of thinking ahead. They realised very early on, because we knew this before the vaccines ever hit the market, we knew that they were going to be kept, the early ones, and it had to be kept in super freeze conditions, really low temperatures. So the Danes, Danes went out and, and bought freezers, which is a very practical and simple thing to do, to be ready. 1850-715-996. On the Ryanair story about Cork Airport, which we've just been bringing you there for the last few minutes. Steve, good morning. Oh, God, Steve Steve got cold feet and headed away. Try him again there, Terry. We'll see if we can get him back. Sarah was on about insurance. Mine went up €150. Euro. I got it down to 50 it's still a hundred more than last year's, but I couldn't do anything. I just renewed it. 
Um, yeah, those letters, I've been telling you about it since 9 o'clock. We know that communion season is May. Oh, he's there, is he? Thanks, Terry. Okay. Uh, Steve, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. On the airport and Ryanair. Yeah, I was just listening to you. I missed part of your uh, show there, unfortunately. But uh, you know, <coughs> um, it was an announcement made yesterday there by Aer Lingus that they're cutting back on flights in and out of Shannon for, I don't know, several months anyway. Yeah. And... Um, it's only indicative of what's happening around in every facet of life, put it that way, with our government above in Dublin. There's a little patch up there on the eastern coast, small little county, Dublin. And from what I can see, and I'm so sure a lot of other people can see, is that nothing else seems to matter anywhere in the rest of the country outside the pale above there. Yeah. We have Cork Airport now. It's it is great. So how anybody could draw documents and have that glaring mistake, or call it what you like, a probably ready-made mistake, and letting out the way it was going to be constructed, no night work or something like that. Well, let, let's let's clarify what it is. We know that the plan is in place, and we know that a contract will be awarded uh-huh. in April. But our very dependable source in the airport said that there's no. There was nothing in the tender documents and no decision on day or night work will be made until the contract is awarded. Uh-huh. I appreciate that. But I, I, I'm not a betting man, but I've, if I put a bet on it, I think our airport will be closed for and in, in, for quite a while and they'll just go ahead with their fobbing us off as, like everything else. They will not do anything for anybody except what's above there. And the government, you know, they're only playing... Phil, we had we had the announcement by the banks there recently, now shutting down all those um, offices. Bank of Ireland, yeah. Bank of Ireland. And Ulster Bank gone and, as well. Also, yeah. Exactly, Ulster Bank gone. And not so very long ago, PJ, half... No, I won't say half, no. Quite a lot of the post offices in rural areas were closed down across the country. So not alone are the post offices gone... The banks are moving out, and the banks are telling us now that the post office will take over. Possibly in areas that there's a post office, there might be some chance of people getting doing their business. But a lot, a lot of smaller areas will be finding it very difficult to do any type of uh, financial business. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, look, we were looking yesterday at the nine branches of Bank of Ireland that are to go in Cork. Pardon? Nine branches to go in Cork. In Cork. But well, our minister was condoning the, 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 and he was saying what a wonderful break it's going to be you now for the post offices and the credit unions because they can do all. Now I have no problem whatsoever with post offices or credit unions doing the business. But it's, it's another, um, how do you say, it's another velvet glove that the government are handling the banks. Look, we'll pacify the people. Do as you wish. And that's exactly what's happening. Okay. Now, what that minister seems to forget is that the banks have caught the country stranglehold for us, our children and grandchildren, to the tune of $64 billion. Not so long ago. Yeah. We bailed out the banks. And this is, one of, this is another way they have of thanking us, though. Which is a point that is... Well made that the Bank of Ireland can do this. 89 branches or something around the country, nine of them in Cork. 
And like you said, this, this you know, the, the banks, their skins were saved by, by the Irish people. And, and, and this is what they do in return. Thanks, Steve, for that call. 1850-715-996. Just to hand is a statement. Thank you, Terry. A statement from Cork Airport on what Ryanair has been saying this morning. With passenger numbers currently down by 99%, we should remember that it makes prudent business sense to fast-track major capital investments now while the airport is very quiet, which is obviously referring to the, the work that must be done on the runway. It says, and I quote, Management at Cork Airport has been engaged with all major stakeholders, including Ryanair, in relation to the runway reconstruction and remediation project. The majority of our airline customers are strongly in favour of the runway work being done this year. The reconstruction project is vital for the future of the airport and our aim is to compete with the least possible destruction and at, at lowest cost. Least possible disruption and lowest cost. It'll be a key strategic asset for the South of Ireland for the next 20 years. So what they're saying there is we've been talking to everybody. This should come as no surprise. And fair enough. It then says Park Airport has been talking to airlines, including Ryanair, in relation to the types of incentive schemes we will offer to enable us to work together to build back our respective businesses. We'll be tabling a generous incentive scheme which will once again make changes at Cork Airport cheaper, or charges rather, at Cork Airport cheaper than those at Dublin to Ryanair and to other customers. It also points out that charges at Cork Airport have not increased in more than 14 years. Ryanair's insistence that they are the highest they deal with might be another argument, but they say they haven't changed their charges, haven't increased their charges in more than 14 years. But the work is going ahead. They will be in a position, according to this, they will be in a position to award a contract in May. Public tendering commenced back in November in accordance with EU procurement guidelines and a contract will be awarded in May. It brings us back to our position that we still don't know whether that work will be done by day or by night. We still don't know that. But we do know that a contract will be awarded in May. And that statement from the airport pretty much saying to Ryanair, how I know, well, don't be saying you weren't told. We've been telling you about this for a while. So don't be pretending it's any surprise. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. I just have to hand the lineup for Premier League Live this Saturday at 96fm.ie, uh, exclusively online and powered by Talk Sport. It's Burnley against Arsenal at 12.30, Sheffield United versus Southampton at 3, Aston Villa v Wolves at half five, and Brighton against Leicester at 8 o'clock. That's Trevor and the team's lineup for this Saturday coming. The Premier League Live online with Now TV. Stream live Premier League action with Now TV Sky Sports or Sports Extra Pass. And listen every Saturday on the Quark's 96FM app or indeed go to 96FM.ie. There's talk there in the news about the Gordon Elliott story. He did issue a long statement to the Racing Post where he accepts that he has let down the racing industry his owners and his staff. He said, and I quote, it is indefensible, whether alive or dead, the horse was entitled to dignity. 
a moment of madness that I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life paying for and that my staff are suffering for. That's a direct quote from the Racing Post. I will be punished. I fully understand that. But it absolutely breaks my heart to read and hear people say that I have no respect for my horses. That couldn't be further from the truth. My whole life has revolved around horses since I was a child. I know nothing else. Horses are all I have. I came from nothing and I built a dream. When your world starts crumbling in front of you, it's a scary place to be. I just hope people can understand how truly sorry I am and find some way to forgive me for what I have done. He'd have been doing fine until he started explaining himself, which is what some people were saying. When you're explaining, you're losing. And this thing about having no respect for his horse, because that is the big, that's the thing that's bothering people most. The horse was dead. The horse didn't know he was sitting on it, as it were. Horse was dead, the poor misfortunate creature. It was the respect or the disrespect for the horse that he's perceived to have shown. A lot of people now saying he shouldn't be allowed to race at Cheltenham. Uh, Others are saying he shouldn't be allowed to be involved in the industry for a very long time, if ever again. It's amazing how... uh, This is an old photograph. This isn't a photograph taken recently. This is an old photograph going back quite a number of years, which just surfaced again at the weekend. he, He says in the statement that he became aware of it while he was at Ferry House on Saturday. Instantly realised the magnitude of the situation and added, I will be punished. Yeah. Horse racing is offended and ashamed, says this comment, by a photo of Gordon Elliott sitting on a dead horse. Yet if the horse was alive and being whipped mercilessly to force it to run faster, it would be perfectly okay. Strange old world, says a comment to the opinion line. If you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. 1850-715-996. Another house programme, another dream home programme. We've got the, the home of the year, which is running at the moment. We've had a, a conversation with a couple of car contestants tonight, or this weekend, or this week rather. It's another programme called Goodbye House. Uh, it's the second run of this. It uh, starts on Thursday, half eight on RTE, where effectively someone who wants to move This is the concept. Somebody who wants to move house, for whatever reason, asks their friends to find them a new one. That's the concept. And uh, featured on Thursday is Kira Bourne. Kira, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Are we allowed to know which one you ended up with? No, I have to keep that to a secret. They've been sworn to secrecy. Because two of them are good. I have a particular favourite. I, oh, I do. I think the, I think the one in Ballinglana, I would run down there. I know, it's a beautiful part of the world, Ballinglana. It's absolutely stunning out there. Yeah. And I think the day they filmed, they got some... Oh, it was really... It really showcased the area. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know it's a... Okay, it's it's a bit of a walk away from a shop or a pub, but at the same time, <laughs> it's there and it's gorgeous. Yeah, that would be my favourite. That would be my favourite. So no, how they're do, all beautiful. They're all absolutely stunning. Talk to me about how you got involved and what and and the concept. So basically, I had seen it advertised about I'd say back in January of last year when the world was very different, and at the time I had my house on the market about three or four months, 
and it wasn't shifting and I wasn't really sure where I wanted to live myself or what kind of house I wanted. I was kind of, because I was leaving a house that I really loved yeah. and the thought of finding another house just kind of daunted me. So when I saw that, it was kind of like the perfect storm, you know, coincidence of needs. Um, so I put my name in for it and also I thought, because at the time I was president of Network Ireland West Cork, I thought, what a way to showcase how easy it is to live in West Cork and yeah. work in West Cork within this beautiful surrounding. So it was a couple of things coming together. So I thought very closely about the three people I wanted to go choose a house for me and I choose I chose like three very different people because mm. I wanted to see what they their view on where I should live. Mm. Interesting that two of them came up with putting you to live by the sea. Yeah. Because beautiful and all in Ballandlana is the other one. Is it Lis Villan or Lis Villain? Yeah, yeah. They're they're stunning. I mean, the <laughs> stunning houses. Stunning. stunning. And like I am, I suppose you know, in the last year I've spent an awful lot of time on the beach because you know I haven't been, I suppose, driving up and down to Cork or travelling. So I've been at home a lot, and I, I suppose, got another love of swimming in the sea and going to the beach. And I think you know. That came across very clearly on the the show, and my friends really get that for me, and as well as that, my son, my eleven year old, is very into the sea as well. So that's why I think they would have selected those two houses. Yeah, and on on like you know, you can travel the world, and there are beautiful beaches, and there are warmer water, but West Cork on a sunny day. Oh, there's nowhere like it. No. You're- I couldn't agree with you more. You're singing my song. I'm a, I'm a, I'm from Skibbereen myself. Um, left for many years, but came back. Um, living in Clonakilty now, and I would say I absolutely love West Cork, and I never take it for granted, and feel that we're very lucky to, and blessed to live in such a beautiful place. Yeah. So you're spot on, and I think it was a really good opportunity to show you know people that watch this show how beautiful West Cork is and how easy it is to work. In such a location, we've got fantastic remote access. And now with the whole working from home yeah. um, bus taking off. You, you, uh, work, you, work in, you work in technologies, but you can yeah, do an awful lot yeah. of it from home. Oh, can't? yeah, you can do everything. I mean, we're very lucky down here. Our connectivity is unbelievable. And you can have calls with anyone. I mean, in fact, you know, um, you know I'm on Teams calls from 8 o'clock in the morning till late at night and I never have issues with my connectivity and then, you know, I can finish up about 6 o'clock and run down to Inchidani for a lovely walk and, you know, last Thursday I just needed to finish early because we had a very busy day, went down and, you know, the, the, the sun going down, the sunset was stunning and beautiful so we're very lucky and, yeah. I feel, and I, I'm delighted I got to show that off in the programme. Yeah, now, if you take your, your three friends, Deirdre, Caroline and Neve, you have yeah. to take one of them and say yes. Exactly. So you run the risk of falling out with the other oh, two. They're, and they're a competitive trio, <laughs> I can tell you. Uh, you know, they're very competitive. They all took it very seriously. Um, and, you know, it was literally, uh, you know, it was a bit of a blind date for houses. And, you know, but I said to them going in, you know, it, it's all about, you know, getting me the perfect house. I could have lived in any of the three houses. So they all did exceptionally well. And poor old Caroline was brought in last minute because one of my selected friends, Jane, had to have a, a minor medical procedure. So she had to, like, jump out at the last minute. So Caroline was roped in. So she did really well to find that house. Um, under such circumstances. Deirdre 
really came at it. She's a real list person and, you know, she'd been through the same situation. So she came at it like very organised. And then Neil is someone that doesn't know West Cork, um, knows me in the most recent years. So really got what I want and wasn't bound by, oh, that area you shouldn't live in or this area. She just came at it for me. So it was very interesting. Okay, I'm intrigued to know which one you picked. <laughs> we'll only find out on Thursday. Thursday, so tune in. All right, listen, take care. Thanks for being with us. That's Kira Byrne. She's part, she's the star, as it were, of the first episode of the new series of Goodbye House, where her three friends picked three houses and she had to choose one to live in. And she had a nice little budget too, 350 grand. And her friends had to work within that budget. I want to see the two places, two places by the sea. Um, I, I, I don't wonder. I think she must have picked one of them by the sea. I don't, I don't know. We'll find out Thursday. 1850-715-996. Just some stuff coming in on the insurance. My insurance was €540 Euro last year. This is Alan in Toker. Hi, Alan. And this year they wanted 650 I, I called and asked them where they'd taken the mickey. The guy said, sure, we were very good to you last year by giving you €30 Euro back. All I could do was laugh. Told them, drop it, or I'll leave them. They brought it down to 500. They won't make a fool out of me. Yeah. And people whose cars have been sitting in the drive, for the most part, for the last year, getting insurance insurance quotes that have gone up by several hundred euro, that's ridiculous. And as Charlie Weston was saying earlier on, it's just, it's, it's, it's blackguarding is what it was. 1850-715-996. 1850-715-996. Let us mention uh, these letters finally, because if I don't, I'll forget them. They were issued yesterday by the Diocese of Cork and Ross and were there for parents and schools preparing for First Holy Communion and preparing for confirmation. And in particular, the First Holy Communion. Now, both the letters stand the same way. I'm sure you're delighted to return this week. It hasn't been easy for you and your families since Christmas, being apart from your friends and the familiar surroundings. During these difficult times, it's good that your families have worked with your school to continue your education and faith formation from home. Here's the first of the two bits of interest. Many people, this is from Bishop Finton Gavin, many people have been asking when it will be possible to celebrate First Communion this year. At the moment, it is not possible to fix dates for those celebrations, which might only cause confusion and possible disappointment. When it becomes possible to gather safely, children yet to receive their First Holy Communion from last year will be the first to do so. And then here comes the bit the people are talking about. I would suggest to your families it is better not to purchase communion outfits at this time as dates cannot be fixed at this moment. It would be better not to purchase communion outfits at this time as dates cannot be fixed at this moment. That's from the bishop to the communion families. The confirmation families didn't have any mention of outfits, but again, it's not possible to fix dates for the celebrations which might only cause confusion and possible disappointment. We'll be in a better position to fix dates when restrictions are eased. Nothing can be even set provisionally at this stage. They do say, though, that anybody yet to celebrate their sacrament of confirmation from last year 
will be the first to do so. But there's the talking point. What do people think about the bishop telling them not to buy communion? I think it's wise advice from the bishop at the rate that children grow these days. Wise advice. You don't have a date. What's the point in starting to buy clothes? You mightn't have a date until way later in the year. So hold off for now. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Where is the dorsal on the human body? On your back. The dorsal on the human body has just taken the game to 96,000 euros. Yeah! yeah. Thousand euro in oh, cash. Thank you, thank you. Yes, well thank done. You. Two gram gone out the door on the two gram minute. Another winner. There you go. 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 The two grand minute. Listen to play at seven forty and eight forty every day. Casey and Ross in the morning on Cork's ninety six FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696. On Cork's 96FM. Kevin was saying on Twitter that that comment made about Gordon Elliott that if the horse was alive and being whipped to force it to run faster to be perfectly okay, strange old world. Kevin was saying that that person clearly doesn't understand the changes in the rules over the last few years. As someone who doesn't know the back end of a horse from the front, I'll go with Kevin on that one. I know nothing about horse racing, to be quite honest with you. Um, Patrick, thanks Pat Mulcahy from uh, C103 Sport, tells me that it was summer 2019 when that photograph was taken, so it wasn't all that long ago at all at all. 1850 I've a book in my hand. Lord knows when I was an expectant father all them years ago, it would have been a book I'd have loved to have got my hands on. There are loads of books out there for women expecting a baby. And rightly so. So there should be plenty of books and guides and stories and all of that. But there's nothing there for men. Or at least there was nothing until David Caron thought of writing one I had a chat with him about the Irish Dad's survival guide to pregnancy and beyond David this is an update I think it's actually the third update of a book you first wrote in 2012 you were working I think in Waterstones and you spotted women coming in pregnant women coming in looking to buy something for their partners in terms of how to prepare for a baby that's where they started. That's it. That's it. That's on target, PJ. It is indeed. I was on. I was on the other side of the mahogany on Patrick Street, and uh, the expectant mums would come in, and they they they'd have the baskets with them, and the books would be full in the basket of pregnancy titles, and then they'd say, "Have you anything for himself?" And and basically, I'd be. I'd see that there wasn't. There wasn't anything on the shelf. There wasn't a handbook. There wasn't a guide for Irish dads. And this was happening so often that I just decided to take the, the bull by the horns and say, hold on a second. Um, I'm, I'm in publishing. I'm, on, I'm, I'm in retail. I spoke to a few publishers about it and, and it was a niche. There was a, there was a, a void 
for a handbook for dads. So that's how it kind of started. And uh, and here we are nine years on. It was nine years ago when we first did that. And now we're nine years on and we're into our third edition. And it's yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing, you know. So uh, I'm delighted with it. And when you were writing, were you writing from your own experience or did you call on on experts well originally i uh we had we were on our third ellen my wife she was pregnant with our third at that stage so it was very hands-on deck very um let's say i, I was living it <laughs> uh, even though this this just would have been our third child our, our son so I, I was going through all the scans myself was the antenatal classes again i was still doing that myself but at the same time I wanted not just to have one voice in a handbook. I just didn't want myself writing it from my perspective. So what I wanted to do was I kind of threw out the gauntlet and I went out to dads and expecting dads and, and, and new dads and asked them their opinions and their stories and how they felt in pregnancy. And and the book is actually about that. The book is, is developed in a way that it deals with the trimesters from a dad's perspective. But at the same time, there are sections in each trimester that you have a kind of fraternity of fathers and mm. they will give their views on, on what it was like, say, in the labour ward or going to the scans or, 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 or things like that. So it's, it's like a lot of Irish dads coming together, giving their, giving their views as well on the different aspects of the pregnancy and afterwards, obviously. I always remember, in fact, I will never forget our scan because I was standing up and herself was lying down and Dr. Fenton did the scan and he looked up and he said, hang on, there's a, there's a second head there. And my wife said, Jesus, I'm having a two-headed baby. And he said, no, 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 you're, you're having twins. And my knees went out from under me. So that's a memory I'll take to my grave. But a lot of dads go into the scan not knowing what the hell is ahead of them. Well, that's it. Exactly. They don't. So it's a kind of bunny in the headlights, isn't it? You, you, you go in and... And how you feel, where do you stand? You know, all these, what we did is we went out and I spoke to dads and I said, how do you feel? And I said, look, where, where do I stand? What do I do? You know, can I, can I actually talk? Can I ask questions? You know, and these were the anxieties of, say, the uh, expectant dad. And uh, I, was, I was the same. I remember being in the waiting room there before going in for the first scan and seeing all the other dads. And, oh, it was just, it, it was humorous in some ways because we were all in the same boat, but none of us knew what we were doing. Um, there was no guide to say that, yeah, you can actually open your mouth and say, what's going on here? Um, you know, I'm a bit worried. What's that picture's telling me or things like that. So in, in a way, you know, the, the kind of book, um, it quashes all things like that. It kind of deals with the hows and the whys and the ifs, you know, and the anxieties of the new dad and answers all those questions. And also, you know, even with the labor itself, you know, we brought in a, a midwife in, into the book and we just threw I mean, 50 to 60 questions at her and just ask her, look, we're going to ask you 60 questions. And there to go. some of them are going to be very stupid and some of them are going very obvious. But this is the sort of thing we need to put in the book because these are the questions that I'm being asked by dads. And we just sat her down and didn't laugh, didn't answer. And there's 60 questions and it's in the book and it's this kind of interview with, her, with, with a midwife and she's fantastic and uh, answered all the questions. And at the end of it, there was this sigh of relief. There was this, ah, yes, that's, that, that, that'll put a lot of dads at ease. Um, so yeah, that, that's the sort of thing that yeah. kind of littered through the book. It's all about making the dad feel at ease. At the same time, you know, as I always say to the dads, you know, you, you're kind of playing Robin to Batman. You know, you're, you're the kind of support here yeah. if this is not about you 
you know, and I always say, this is not about you. This is about you being the best you can be to the person who's going through it. Uh, and, and that's the thing about the book. Uh, and that's why we, we brought in so many dads into the book and also dealing with, you know, the sad aspect to some, some parts of pregnancy because that's the reality of it. So, yeah. you know, there are elements there that might deal with the, a, a, a miscarriage yeah. or a stillbirth. And then you have a dad's account. And it's, of course, it's very sad, but it just brings a, a certain truism to, to the whole pregnancy and then and then afterwards you know baby being born what do I do you know what yeah. do I do I just focus on that for a second I, I was going yeah. to ask you about that like is is this book designed to be where everything goes okay like discovering that there is something terribly wrong and and and, and how you deal with that is is there something in there for dad in that regard Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, as I said, it 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 deals with the full pregnancy from 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 start to finish, and obviously the bumps in between. And and I think that's needed. And I, uh, you know, you you can't just sit down and write a, you know, a, a puff piece pregnancy book for dads and make it laddish and make it funny and, and witty. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, essentially have a handbook that a dad could dip in and out of, and the dad could go back and ask a question within the book that the answer's there staring them yeah. in the face and and for, unfortunately that's just pregnancy that things happen yeah. you know um and and for me you know going out there and and interviewing dads and and hearing these stories harrowing that they were i still felt a responsibility to put that into the book you know i think it was needed you know because you've three trimesters and anything can happen within the three trimesters and it's it's not always going to be you fantastic from start to finish, you know, yeah. and that's a sad aspect to it all. But at the same time, you want to take dad and mum by the hand and say, if this happens, this is how you deal with it, or these are the places you can go to the dealers, and the, and these are the you know these are the list of resources that can help, and that's in the book as well, you know. And, and I'm glad that they are. Yeah. As I said, we we didn't sugarcoat it. We we felt that that sort of information was needed. Um, and also, obviously, there's a dad perspective and a dad aspect to it. So, as I said, there's a dad account. So there's a lot of accounts from a dad saying, you know, as I said earlier about a miscarriage or a stillbirth, there, there are stories about that. Yeah. Because, as you know, David, we men don't talk. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We exactly. bottle. We do, we do, we do bottle, and it's it's you're you're dead right, PJ. And it's one thing I did find when I was doing the book, and it was funny in the very early stages of the book. You know, I said to the dads, "I'll be using your names in the book," and they said, "Absolutely, but you're not using my my surname." So you've got all these dads, many dads, and they've given these fantastic accounts uh, from all over Ireland, and, uh, and you know, they're just so honest. You know, and that, and that's the great thing about it—they're honest accounts. And as I said, there are books out there for dads who've since come out and, and they, they're kind of comedic or they put a kind of a laddish approach or they, they maybe they belittle the pregnancy in, in mm. my, my view. And whereas this doesn't, this book doesn't, this takes you by the hand through the pregnancy, answers the questions. Yes, it, it keeps it light when it has to, but also when, it, when you're dealing with a, a, a subject matter that becomes a little bit questionable, it, it's there for you. And then there's an account to back it up. I love case studies in a book. You know, I really think they're important. I think I can write a pregnancy book and I can give all tips and advice. But then at the end, when it comes to a section that I need uh, a doctor's opinion, I have a great doctor, a friend of mine, Dr. Tony Foley from Kinsale Medical Center. And he's there in the book and he's answering the questions and he's there at the end of that chapter. Hmm. It's not me. It's, it's Dr. Foley. And, and again, 
it's, as I said, the, the midwife is there at the labor to answer those questions. So we've got these experts littered throughout the book. Um, and then you've got backed up by the fraternity father accounts. And then I've put together the trimesters from, yeah. from first to third. And then obviously after one baby comes home, as I said, how to deal with baby, you know, the, the obvious how to change nappies and things like that. And I'll come to that in a second, but, but come back to what you said there a few minutes ago. It's it's not about you. And and of course it isn't. But in these days, David, it it's more about dad than it ever was before. As in my kids are 24 in October and really... The involvement of me when my wife was pregnant and the involvement of someone whose wife is pregnant or partner is pregnant right now, it's all changed. Society has developed a whole new role for a young dad. It has. It has. Yeah. And in a positive way. It absolutely has. Because, you know, you need, you know, mom to be needs a support network. She, she needs, you know, we'll say the right hand man there or right hand partner there. For, for her and, and and that's you know man is now starting to you know take up the mantle and, and be there you know when I told my own father nine years ago I was writing a book for, on, on pregnancy for dads he said it's going to be a very short book <laughs> but he, he he would tell me he said you know when when my own mom was expecting he said with you he said I dropped her off at the door and I went back to work he said that was that was it you know that was that was the way yeah. uh, and and but it, it's it's good that it's it's obviously great that it's changed. You know, it's great that it's changed that that men are more involved now. Obviously, at the same time, I've 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 brought in, I've interviewed mums in this, and at times, dad can be a bit overeager. Dad can be a bit, oh, dad to be can be a bit overeager. But but I think generally, you know, I think it, it it's better the way it's turned out. I think it's 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 better for the pregnancy. I think it's better for the health of the mother that you do have this you know, person who can ask questions, who can assist with the birth plan and yeah. if things go wrong, if questions need to be asked and you're in the delivery or in the labor or active labor, that there's somebody there you can count on. Hmm. It's so, so important. Um, and even in the antenatal classes as well, you know, you, you, the, the partners are, are, are going, partners are eager, you know, asking questions, taking notes. Um, you know, it's not just about, I have to lose my coupe and buy a people carrier. They, they, they were, you know, it's not about that anymore. You know, it, it's a lot more besides that. So yeah. uh, it's gone in a positive way, which which is great. When baby comes home, yeah, the realization, yes. that life has changed for everybody, forever. It's, yes. it's only when that little bundle is in the rocket tot or in the carry cot, yeah, that dawns upon you. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, it does, doesn't it? It does, it does. Yeah, I remember it myself as well. Yeah, um, in fact, it doesn't dawn upon you; it hits you like a bullet. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's very much like a bullet. It does, and, and you know, and that's why when I when we when I wrote the book, um, I said we can't stop a pregnancy. We can't just say, you know. Uh, baby's born um, and there you go you, you bring your, your your car seat and happy days and the book ends you know I said that's not going to work I said because you, you're just essentially just stopping dad you know dad is going to have a few more questions he need, he's going to need answers to so the book kind of goes beyond that as I said it's pregnancy and beyond so it deals with bringing home baby getting the house ready it deals with the changes it deals not just the changes in the house but it's the changes in your life yeah. as well you know and, and like as dads ourselves PJ you know we can remember the changes but you know it, it, it kind of yeah, it comforts dad and mum at the same time that there will be changes you know there are routines that have to be developed you know um there are things you have to be mindful of you have to be careful there are things you have to do you know and as i said uh, 
I the book adds that extra to it, you know, and then also brings in that element of the, the legalities, you know, the around paternity leave and and mm. and, and uh, entitlements and things like that, yeah. you know. Because they they have changed, I guess, since you wrote the book the first time. So in 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 this new update, obviously yeah. that's all the update information is in there. But you also focus, I think, in this on. Again, the, the new phenomenon of, of 2021, the, the stay-at-home dad, there's yes. many more of them out there now, and there's a whole focus on this edition of the book on that stay-at-home dad. Yeah, there's a greater aspect to it nowadays. Yeah, nine years ago, um, there were stay-at-home dads. Now, I, I remember uh, being on the Late Late Show, right, somebody talking about this, and, and it was like, it was like, who are these people? Like, it was, it was crazy. Like, uh, do they exist? There was just such intrigue about it. It amazed me back then. That was nine years ago. Now it's, it's just common. It's just, it's just there. You know, you, 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 you're not even interested in it. It's just I'm a stay-at-home dad. Just my wife is out working, and 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 that's the way it works. And that's the way the family works for us. The family unit works this way, and and that's it. And the book again incorporates that it gives advice from a stay-at-home dad's perspective we have accounts from stay-at-home dads on, on how they handle it um i say handle it and but please i'm not being facetious in the way about handling i mean what do they do in regards to routine their their daily life for getting up until the end of the day um so yeah that that chapter has actually become bigger mm. whereas nine years ago in edition one it, it could have been a few pages and a few tips now there's more to us. There's, there's more about you know routines and entitlements and and, and as I said the, the the paternity leave nine years ago when I, when I wrote about paternity leave nine years ago there was no paternity leave. You know Ireland was one of the few countries that didn't have paternity leave. It was just it wasn't there. You know and now we have two weeks paid paternity leave. I had a chapter on paternity leave in the first edition was all praising the likes of the Scandinavian countries who who just gave true time off. At, at, at dads to be and said no no you need to be at home you you, you need to focus on your family it's so so important um so it's it's actually great that as a country we've we, we've stepped further you know it'd be great to step further than that but obviously in current climate that's not going to happen but you know we are there now with paternity whereas we, we, we were not before you've drawn up a list of survival tips which is an interesting way of putting it briefly though I can just imagine somebody <laughs> listening to us uh, baby due later this year the decision has been made mum will go back to work dad will stay at home what kind of things does dad have to watch out for in 2021 well I think you know, talking to the stay-at-home dads, that um, the one thing that echoes throughout the whole conversations I was having was routine. It, it was just, it just kept on coming up. You know, and every interview was like, you know, you have to develop a routine. You have to develop a routine from the moment you get up. You have to business as usual. You know, and it, it comes down to taking care of yourself first. You know, and I'm not being selfish in any way in regards to men and, and and shaving and all whatever regimes they have. But that's where it came down to the simplicity of a routine, getting out of bed, you know, uh, taking care of yourself, fitness, um, household chores. And it was all about routine. That was the main thing that came out of it was just a routine to develop that good routine that can get you from A to B. And and it's not just stay at home. That's it's it's just stay at home. That's a good routine is important for everybody. Yeah, especially nowadays, obviously, with this, this, uh, there's a lot more people now working from home. I myself am working from home. So there's a lot more people working from home. So, you know, it is about a routine. It is about being disciplined. You know, it is about, you know, following that routine to the letter because, you know, 
running off to the box room and, and closing the door and, and, and putting your hands up to your head and saying, that's it, I'm here now. You know, this is my sanctuary. You know, it's not, that's not it. You know, it, it is about, you know, getting up, doing my work, doing my chores, taking care of the kids. Uh, it's all blocks of time. And and as I said, that's what came out of the interviews from interviewing dads locally here in Cork to interviewing dads up in Donegal. It was the same thing that came out, PJ. It was all about that. You know, and then it was the downtime, you know, where's my downtime and, and what they did in their downtime and how they did it and things like that. So, yeah, to say it home that, you know, as I said, it has totally evolved. It's more acceptable now uh, working from home. It's more stay at home parenting now. Hmm. It's not just a stay at home dad, a stay at home mom. It's now stay at home parents. And it's, it's not just prevalent in Ireland. It's prevalent in the UK. It's prevalent everywhere. And that's just obviously the nature of the beast, which where everybody is at this moment in time. David, I wish you well. Uh, with the book, the latest edition of it. And thanks for being with us today. My pleasure, PJ, and thanks a million for having me on. A book published by the O'Brien Press, David Caron's book, The Irish Dad's Survival Guide to Pregnancy and Beyond. 1857 There's another breaking story, a follow-on to Gordon Elliott, apparently a Cheltenham Festival-winning jockey has now apologised after footage emerged on social media of him sitting on a dead horse a number of years ago. This guy called Rob James. Thanks to... That's uh, John Duggan from the Off the Ball People has published that story in the last while. Thanks to Kevin, who brought it to my attention. 1850-715-996. That's a story that's going to grow and grow. Grow and grow. Some sad news coming to us this morning from Cove. You'll remember back in January, we were talking about the... Sea shanty craze, the TikTok sea shanty craze. Um, and we were talking at the time to the Mulgoggers in Cove, who are a sea shanty group. And very sad to report the passing, and I think we might have had him on the show, the passing of Jim Halligan, who was captain of the Mulgoggers. Jim passed away um, yesterday, I believe, and uh, or yesterday, Greva Anam Delish, and our thoughts are with. His family and friends. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Spend your afternoon in Cork with all the big names. Adele, Ed Sheeran, Gaga and Dermot, they're all here. See you from midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Now, I know we've done the Jerusalem Challenge to death and we've featured loads of them and there have been loads of them shared and all of this. And I thought, right, we'll never be talking about another one. But we are. There was a lovely one actually last week of some nuns in a silent order doing it in Dublin. But this latest one, I'm looking at the front of one of the fav- my favourite pubs in the world on a summer's day. There are very few places nicer on the planet and very few nicer things to do than to sit outside Bush's Bar in Baltimore with a point in your hand, enjoying the sunshine on a summer's day. And the, the people who brought you the 
Baltimore Happy video a few years ago have come up with their Jerusalem video. Sharon Rose, good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. It <laughs> is brilliant. Oh. <laughs> and it made oh. me, I almost got a tear in my eye this morning. I so, so want a sunny day in front of bushes. Oh, we all do. I'm telling you. It's, uh, do you know something? To, to get down here and just just to get people together and to get out and do a bit of dancing in the square. I'm telling you. It's we magnificent. All now, now, it was hard to put together under the restrictions, of course. It was a bit hard. Now, this is the thing, because um, what we did, we put a little thing out on Facebook to, like, neighbours and visitors who come here every year as well, you know, because they're missing out on this as well, um, to do a wee, um, film a wee clip of themselves doing the dance, you know. And um, some people are a little self-conscious now, in all fairness, even my own gang trying to get them, they're like, what are you at, you know? But, um, so we put it out anyways, and in all fairness, you know, with a little bit of encouragement, you know, people got dancing in their own homes, people were doing little Zoom dances. And um, What's particularly lovely is that you left one or two little outtakes in. Oh, well, now, in all fairness, I said that was probably the best of the bunch. <laughs> <laughs> like the two, the, the two that bump into each other passing the couch. Like. <laughs> well, in all fairness, we're not going to get anything for synchronisation, but <laughs> you know, no, it's, it's all about having a bit fun, of fun. Sharon. And, and, of course, the beauty of Baltimore. I was waiting to to know, would you put someone up by the beacon? Of course you did. Oh, of course, of course. The thing is, like, this is all left out to all the individuals to, you know, put bits and pieces together and then Colin Hickey is um, our local videographer he's a, an absolute superstar and he, coll- he collaborated all the clips together and he, he had his drone out as well actually yeah. for the wee bit the of drone the square. footage is fantastic oh do you know something it was just, I had a tear in my eye actually whenever I'd seen it the first time as well do you know it just sums up Baltimore do you know it's fun it's happy and it's do you know it's just beautiful yeah, yeah, and look, it's it's one of thousands of Jerusalem videos that we're bombarded with every week. But we just wanted oh, to no. catch up with you because, uh, you know, I mean, I've been ter- telling Terry here he's he's new to Cork. He hasn't seen Baltimore yet, uh, and I said to him, "Get as soon as you're allowed to get into that car, get down and sit outside bushes." Uh, I know. I said we could be inundated now this summer. You, well, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And you know what? It's it's it, it, it's going to be a problem because we can't we can't wait to be let go. But then you'll I be know. thronged at the other end of it. That's the problem. But do you know something? I'm telling you. Do you know we cannot wait to the time where we can get back to just seeing people and do you know just get back to some sort of normality and yeah. normality for us in the summertime like this is tiny little village that goes from just over 300 residents to over 2,000 residents in the summer to do yeah, yeah. it's just unbelievable and thousands and, and thousands of visitors every day oh yeah yeah you know but it's great to see everybody you know and yeah. you know if we can even put a wee bit of a smile on people's faces I'm yeah. telling you our job's done <laughs> you can find it on the Baltimore Rat and the Islands Community Council Facebook page yeah, it's on, on YouTube YouTube yeah we did a few now. We've done quite a few over the years. This is our eighth dance now really? that we've done. Yeah, yeah. We started off in 2014 after that really bad storm. With the happy Do you remember? One. And we did the we happy, did the, the original. Brushes and that was fun. That was fun. That oh, yeah. Do you know, it was great. And everybody, do you know, got involved in that, that as well. But it's easier to get people, you know, doing stuff whenever you're out with the camera and you catch people on the hop. And then whenever you get a few people doing a dance, do you know other ones get 
join in as well, do you know? Because yeah. smiling is contagious, and you know what I mean? If we can get people out and smile Oh, I, I was thinking to myself this morning, I shared, if, if you don't smile watching this video, you need medical <laughs> attention. It's a fact. <laughs> Well, that's what it's all about, I'm telling you. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, Sharon, delighted, and I can't wait, I can't wait to get back down to Baltimore as soon as, as, soon as uh, we're allowed to do so. One of my favourite places on a Sunday afternoon to sit down there in the sunshine. It's just gorgeous. Sharon Rose from Baltimore, thank you very much indeed. And I think we may have shared that link. If we haven't, we will. It's the latest Jerusalem video from Baltimore, and it's just special, special, special. 185715. At 996. With regard to Gordon Elias, the horse is dead. That's the end of that. But people are not thinking about Gordon's mental health. What happened to be kind? It's, it's a point of view. I was shocked to see the pick of Gordon Elliot in The Independent today. What a thing to do. The poor horse. How could, how could he? And then we have the other story coming of that jockey, which has broken out today. Rob James, the jockey, seen in a video from... 2016. Uh, Ryanair. No flights from Cork until winter 2021. A complete joke and we've a Taoiseach and two ministers. All they're doing is extending this stupid lockdown and destroying the Cork economy. And we elected them to serve our interests. Well, this is a Ryanair's decision entirely. Um, and and uh, But they say it's down to the... Well, obviously they're blaming the lockdown, but it's down to the extended work on the runway and blah, blah. They will not now. They will be flying in and out of Cork. Let's be clear about that, to be fair. They will be continuing to fly in and out of Cork. They just won't have um, any planes based here. Here's a wee story from one of the papers in the news in the in Britain, the iNews. Uh, Pontins, you know the holiday people, they have uploaded a list to their own internal internet, the intranet, many places have them now, of undesirable guests for their call handlers. A rake of Irish names. I think we might come back to this tomorrow. If your name is Connors, Doherty, Leahy, Lee, McDonough, Ward, Stokes, O'Mahony, O'Connell, O'Brien, Mongan, Milligan, McMahon, McLaughlin, McGuinness, McGlynn, McGinley. You are considered an undesirable guest in Pontins in the UK. We might come back to that one tomorrow. 1857 Before we go, uh, yesterday we had all the schools back and the leaving certs were among those back. The smallies were back and the first and second classes were back. But the leaving certs were back as well. And uh, Fiona Corcoran went out to Cloyster d'Orvade to meet some of their leaving cert cohort of 2021. I think it's been different um, in regards that we're the only year in the school. So the atmosphere of the school kind of isn't really there. But I suppose I'm happy to be back. Obviously, I'm in Leaving Cert and I'm hoping to sit the exams. So I think it was necessary to be back in order to progress and to be more motivated to study and stuff. So I'm really happy. I've always kind of had the end goal in sight. So I've kind of hoped the exams would go ahead. And for that reason, I've kind of been kept motivated to keep up and study. But it 
has been difficult given the challenges of being online and I suppose not having that one-to-one basis with the teacher in asking questions and stuff like that. So yeah, it has been difficult and challenging, but overall I think I've managed to kind of cope well with it. Um, I think it's really important to be able to have interaction with others. Obviously being at home, you're a bit isolated and socially it's quite an important year because you're preparing to kind of leave all this behind with going into college or progressing further. Um, So I think seeing my friends has been really good in that regard because we kind of do keep each other motivated in general anyway and having kind of that support I think there will be certain students that will opt for calculated grades accredited grades and because it's more suited to them and obviously preparation will be needed to progress with the exams so I'm glad to be back in school in that regard as well. Miles Rahalik I've been sitting at home for the last few months just in front of Zoom calls really and it's but no, it's just it was better in a way because well, you know, you can, you can actually talk to the teachers now. It's a lot easier. Uh, internet problems are gone because you know every now and then it'd be buffering and uh, like the screen be frozen and just don't know what to do. And well, education wise, yes, very challenging. But um, it's like I don't really mind. The, the, the isolation is hard but okay. I think I've had I've been talking to my friends with Playstation playing games and stuff like that you know it's not that bad but education yeah the Zoom calls were hard to take out of you like you're just sitting there staring at a screen and your eyes just you'll get a headache you're like at the end of the day you're going to have a headache and you're going to want to parse them all like okay. I probably could have studied a lot harder but mm-hmm. I, I think it's hard to do it online like some teachers they don't I think it was a few of them that didn't understand how to use the um, Zoom thing but um, I barely understood it either so it's not that bad um, well, I'd definitely like the calculator grades because like we've all missed a lot of school and I don't know I think in fifth year yeah, I, I had a, a lot of doctor's appointments as well I missed a lot um, but it's like it's a it's a safety net really kind of and the idea of taking the exams as well as like okay if I I think I can do better in the exam like French for example like probably like I could probably do better in French in the exam I'd say than like I have recently but um yeah predicted grades are probably one of the better ways almost glad to be back almost I never thought I'd be saying that but um, you know it's it's nice to see everyone again like I haven't seen their actual faces in three months like so it's it's ridiculous really I was definitely quite nervous coming back but now that I'm back I've kind of settled in now I've definitely with like everything all the rest restrictions and the like what they're doing it's kind of definitely made me feel safer after coming back because I was definitely very nervous coming like thinking about it last night even thinking about it over the last week I mean it's not really about myself really I'd just be I'd feel so guilty if I gave it to any of my parents or anything like that like just about I don't know giving it to someone else or just definitely feel a lot safer than I thought I would it's kind of almost back to normal like how it was before Christmas just definitely a bit more eased now that I'm back I definitely miss that social aspect of it so it kind of they put me at ease more than anything else just that knowing that we're all in it together getting to like have a little look over at a friend just to see how they're coping with it it was definitely a lot of 
help because, I mean, like you see their faces on Zoom, but it's definitely not the same thing. You don't have that kind of atmosphere in the classroom and it's just definitely a lot better to have them there with me. There you go. The hosts of the Leaving Certs at Clush to David speaking to Fiona Corcoran on returning to school. And sure he's here's hoping that they'll all be able to stay there. And here's hoping that everybody else will be back with them in the fullness of time. On the subject of the book by David Caron, Margaret gets the quote of the comment of the day. Would you tell PJ, I'm really glad he was not the one lying down during that scan. Yeah, you're wrong. You're not wrong. All right, that's it. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll see you in the morning, just after nine.